0: Um, Channel 10. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Using Audible, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial by going to audibletrial.com slash channel 10. That's channel and the number 10. Um, By going to audibletrial.com slash 10, you'll have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android device, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. In addition, if you want to help support the podcast, you can go to channel10podcast.com and Whenever you order from Amazon, you can click on the Amazon link. There's a link at the top um, where you can click on an Amazon uh, portal. And by going to Amazon and clicking that link, whatever you buy through Amazon will get a little kickback at no cost to you. So uh, you can show us support that way by showing love to channel10podcast.com. And with that, let's get into the show.
1: We used to be like CNN Channel 10, and we used to think the people would catch on. <laughs> no but if you're not from queen, if you don't got Time <laughs> Warner <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> like, well,
2: I didn't know that. Do it, yo, yo
1: roll up, man. World it's a different channel, son. Roll up, Hold on, man. Roll up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. Well, what up? All good, baby, in every We're hood, what up? You're that Network Channel 10, network it's on again. Network Street niggas, this grown man. Bow face, men. Me Whoa, you face. Get in your face. Stay in place, yo. crime lace. Cast more beef, this scar face. Network CNN network. network Channel 10, network it's on again. Street niggas, this grown man. Bow face, in your face. face. Stay in place,
3: yo. Call bro. is now being recorded.
0: Welcome back to the Channel 10 podcast. We are here now with our esteemed, very special guest, Davey Sutton. Um, And she has a wide range of, um, I guess, uh, accomplishments and ventures that she's been involved in. She's a a sports journalist. Uh, She has a. A management company and they do uh, documentaries and everything. And um, I was just, you know, looking over your uh, bio and website. And um, you were an athlete. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, you have your travel uh, show coming out. So you have a lot going on. Um, I don't know if we're missing anything, but um, we just kind of want to take it back to the start, I guess. Um, So I guess where did everything get started with you like where were you raised
4: i was um raised in southern california in know um in the valley not the valley that's on television as i say the um, east valley san gabriel valley okay yeah so i grew up in a place called san Dimas, which if you're a particular age then people um Know that from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, but okay. there's a whole slew of people who have no clue <laughs> at it. So I always people always say where Where'd you grow up? I start with L A. and then I then they say where, and I say, well, how well do you know L A. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I grew up. Um, then I um, went to college at UCLA, um, and um, kind of stayed out after college. Kind of stayed there a couple years the the funny thing was I, I was one of those um, people that kind of hung around college longer than I should have but mm-hmm. the the deal was that my um, roommate is um, her father is Roger Craig um, remember the guy from the 49ers <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Football player. Yeah. Yeah, So he um, bought her a townhouse in Santa Monica and he said, "Okay, I'm going to buy this townhouse. You can live in it. I'm not going to pay for anything else. So she invited me to stay with her, um, be her roommate if I paid four hundred dollars a month um, so she could pay her expenses expenses so that's kind of like why would you leave right I was living in Santa Monica in this nice townhouse so yeah that's kind of that Um, but the kickstart to my career kind of happened a little later for me but there was an opportunity to first go to Palm Springs and I was working in news Uh Um, and then I looked across the newsroom and um, saw that uh, people got paid to watch sports and that was their job so um that's was i made the transition to sports and then moved to atlanta there was a network called falcons vision and this when i moved out here falcons vision was under comcast sports Mm -hmm. Um, the eagles also had a 24-hour um network based on the football team and as you can imagine what is there to talk about um, 24 hours for a, one team, so we were kind of making up stuff. But that was a good. I mean, you know, we, were, we literally did like dating shows with the athletes. We were just doing whatever because um, I don't even know if it, it got any ratings at all. Like, who's watching that? But um, but shortly after that, the NFL, there were a couple more teams were going to sprout up their own networks on cable, and then the NFL Network. See, this is also dating myself. The international Network came in and said, well, we're, we got this, we're going to do our own thing. Well, the NFL said that. And mm-hmm. then uh, I think about a year later, the NFL network came about. So um, that was kind of like the initial start for um, journalism for me and broadcast. Um, when that network disappeared, um, I was in the Atlanta market. And um, because of the network that I've built, um, somebody at CNN said, well, you can do some stuff and freelance here. And I, um, started logging games and then moved up to associate producing and then producing. And then in, um, 2006, I had an opportunity to send, go over to the London bureau for CNN. And I worked a year there, Um, I got to cover the World Cup, which was in Germany at the time, and Wimbledon, and um, they have a really small team over there for their sports department, so I was able, the the sports director and the lead anchor, he would send me out on stories that I would produce, and then he started saying, well, why don't you just do a stand-up, well, you know, in, in real language, why don't you just get in front of the camera and... Report it. So what happened with that was it was it was going out to CNN International and also feeding back to the domestic air, and that's how I got back on air from that. So from there, when I returned, I um, did worked a little more for CNN, but then went over to Turner Sports. And while I was at Turner Sports, um, that's a fun team, um, and I ended up getting to not ended up, but earned two Mm -hmm. national sports Emmys when I was with that team, um, which that that was great. And then um, the next step after I worked from Turner Sports from, I think 2005 to, 2000, the beginning, very beginning of 2010. And, and then I had an agent at that time who called me and said, Hey, there is a opportunity for you to um, do something a little different. Like, I don't know if you might be interested, but there's like, they're going to start an entertainment and lifestyle store show in Charlotte at the NBC station, um, and you should check it out. So I did and ended up getting the job and helped start that show, which is um, it's, it's the Today Show, mm-hmm. but in the Southeast region. So we followed the, the national Today Show And we came on right after Kathy Lee and Hoda, Um, and that was fun. And that kind of whet my whistle for um, adventure, and also kind of that that um, that fun reporter on television that gets to do all the fun stuff. Like I got I got to ride in NASCAR cars, and while uh, by the way side note by the way while I was in Charlotte, immersed myself. First, it was I re- reluctantly, but ended up, now I'm a gearhead. I call myself a total, total fan of NASCAR, which, as you know, that's kind of like the home, the hub yeah. in the Charlotte area. But, um, but I started doing travel stories and all that stuff, and then... Um, was going to start at the end of 2013, left that position and was going to launch officially my production company. So in between all of that, I, um, and it actually started while I was with that Turner sports, I was doing things under the name of my production company, but it was never like official, um, an official business as it is now. Um, and some of the things that you see on TV now, if you are a fan of NBA basketball, um, in, in Turner Sports, in that team with um, Chuck, Ernie, and um, um, that you know that award-winning team, um, I I kind of launched. So like you see, notice now that they do like their their style. They, it's like an officially sponsored thing by Samsung, I think. Mm. Uh, with NBA style? That is something that I started way back in, in early 2000s and then um there's another thing oh the, they have you know like now we care about what they do off the court right i've been blogging about that i've been used to so there was a period where it was just uh, turner sports with the programming on tnt TBS, um and then nba tv um they had that merger with where they would do the programming for NBA TV and they moved them from New York to Atlanta. Um, And, Um, so there was a lot of more opportunity to kind of spread your wings and do more things. So I started doing work and contributing to NBA.com. So the style stuff that I would do for the Turner broadcast, I would also do it in print. And then, um, I also said I would go and then I started doing feature reporting. I was a features reporter for them and I would go out on these stories and we would tell the story, but there was a lot of stuff that got left on the cutting room floor, if you will. Mm -hmm. For example, there was a thing uh, I went on, um, a a story with Amari Stoudemire and it was like one of his charity events and that's what made air but what didn't make air was that the crew that his crew the people that he was serving and our crew whoever was just hanging around he's like hey guys let me just let me just buy you all donuts um and those kind of stories I would bring back and and the it would be like water cooler talk people would be like oh that's cool like it, but you would never know about it so i was like there's something here and i remember pitching the um senior editor and they were like no nah, no nah, little girl just go sit down somewhere no one cares about this, this strict nba <laughs> stuff that's just x's and o's and i was like no people care like like i t- like they're always asking me about The things like these people as human beings not just as athletes and i mean it's so clear now right because with social media we like we care what lebron james is doing on vacation like we don't it's not like we care we care as much as we care like we we like to peek in and be like oh that's cool oh you know and so and it's more of more of the that's cool so i started so what i ended up doing i didn't have a space there um to do it and i and i I actually started a little um, podcast web series that I would distribute where I would just kind of do like those kind of stories video because I'm kind of a video first kind. That's the way my brain thinks is like, it would be better told in pictures versus writing it down. Mm -hmm. And that started to do really well. And um, Black Sports Online would feed it, use the feed. And I was pitching it to different like budding bloggers to say, I'm going to do this content. And if you just run the video, and to compliment the blog that you're starting and he was black sports online was starting this the same time i was starting this um and then people kept telling me like you need to do a blog and i i did blogs before and i know how daunting that could be so i was like i'm not taking this on and eventually i i had a crew about about five people that said if i'm going to do this you guys have to help me so i eventually started mba front page which became very very popular and we ended up breaking stories and all this stuff and i think our tagline it's like the stories around the, so, the association that you really want to know. And then um, fast forward to now, <laughs> on NBA.com, they have all blo- the All Ball blog which with Lane Whitaker, which uh, I, me and this other journalist who now works for ESPNW, we shake our heads at those two, those two things that kind of like – we innovated way before mm-hmm. like we saw this before and now it's a thing that's sponsored and all that stuff. But but yeah, so I through my production company I kind of I named all of those things under my production company. But fast forward to the end of two thousand thirteen I was leaving Charlotte to come back to Atlanta, which is kind of Create, made home base. So I grew up in Los Angeles, but when I was in college, my parents and family moved to Atlanta. Uh-huh. So um, moved here, and I and I knew some people in the market. So I was prepared to start my um, production company. Then I had already started shooting a couple of different projects, and I was just going to deep dive into it. Then a couple, uh, my former colleague at cnn was at the cbs affiliate in atlanta and said hey well this station doesn't have a sports department come help me build the sports department and i really didn't want to do that but it but i also thought well i'm starting this new venture here and it couldn't hurt to to build rebuild these relationships here in this market it will only when i officially launch later on um you know give me more credibility because I was working here in this market but well if you've ever well i you i don't know how much you know but the if you cover sports you work nights and weekends and plus on top of that your shift is very irregular so it totally drained me and i I was not able to balance the two Mm -hmm. so the beginning of this year um, I made the decision to leave that and deep dive for real into my production company and as soon as I did I had 12 projects on I looked up and I had 12 projects on my plate wow so that's Mm -hmm. like the whirlwind of where I how did I get here now
0: (laughs) now you um you talk a lot about like transitions and like there's different things you know in your story that have happened um when you like in certain instances like especially like when you were doing the nfl thing and then the nfl kind of took that over um do you have like a sense of fear sometimes when you start a new venture or anything like that or uncertainty or do you just like dive in
4: so i yeah i think there's oh you're always at that crossroads Mm -hmm. and for me I, I have to push past. I think the fear is natural, and but the the I I, I I have the sense that I can't fail. Like this is what has to happen, and I have to go for it. So um, and that's kind of what's carried me through early early on in my career. I don't even think it's probably even before my career started. You see different people in different lanes, and it seems easier for them. Um, and I had to learn to abandon looking to the left and to the right and just kind of embracing my journey and trying to do the best that I can. And if I put my energy just on my, put my head down and my energy on my journey, then I'm able to move forward and not look to the left or right. But I, there, along the way, there had been things that I had been, um, going for, especially in sports, and me and my friends, we would joke that I'm not blondiful enough, because I could look, I could go for a particular position, look, and see who got it later, and I wasn't blondiful enough apparently. (laughs) 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 So, um, but, but I had to, I I'm at the place where, and and I also do a lot of public speaking to college students and stuff, and that's something that I stress that, like, if I can quote the poetic words of Big Sean, (laughs) "When you're black, extra, extra try." So (laughs) you just have to embrace that. You're just going to have to extra, extra try for your journey to get where where you are. Um, And so, yeah, there there is that fear, but it doesn't consume me it it kind of makes me it's like you're at that crossword roads you're you're gonna do it or you're not right um, and i the payoff of what could happen if i do it always has outweighed the kind of being can't content for where i am
0: now oh oh, I'm oh
3: not gonna... now, did you study journalism in, oh.
4: actually no oh. so um so it's funny i always say that um Growing up in Los Angeles I don't know where you guys... where are you guys from?
3: Baltimore.
4: Baltimore. I always say growing up in Los Angeles you probably hear the stories about all the pretentiousness and stuff, but it's true to an extent that growing up in Los Angeles that like I, I remember in junior high school I would have friends who would like leave school for a couple of weeks to go shoot a show and then they come back. The norm was that like people were on television. So we were never Really starstruck. So for me, and I and I lay that foundation to say that I used to think that I wanted to be an actress, but I'm a very very poor actress.
2: <laughs> so it
4: took me a little bit when I was in college to decide what I wanted. But I also and I know like I started off playing sports, and, and there was a particular path or track that um, athletes would take course of uh, coursework they would take african american studies or sociology and i knew i didn't want to do that and then there was a point that i thought i wanted to be a lawyer i took a couple poli sci classes and dropped out i'm like i don't care this much about government um and so i was i actually got my degree in the study of world religions wow but oh. all of that played <laughs> a role in the way that I understand that in my approach, when I'm interviewing people to what I'm doing now with my travel journalism, the stories that I can tell are, are from like the basis. Like, so it's not, I always, people often can, fuse it with like is that theology no um ucla is a public school so they're not teaching you theology they're teaching you world religions and there was a lot of history anthropology and some philosophy and the kind of the premise is like to, to best understand where people are coming from is to understand the foundation of their beliefs so like if you hmm. had a friend who was muslim and he kind of dipped out every day at sunset you know if we didn't understand what he his his beliefs He'd be like yo muhammad is weird like i could be talking to him and he just leaves every time when the sun comes <laughs> right where, where he was coming from you know oh you know give he'll be back in 15 minutes he's when he's gonna go pray because the sun went down and that's part of its religion so that's kind of that actually helps me in my journalism um as a good foundation because it gives me perspective and my approach and when I'm in the stuff that I'm doing a lot now with travel journalism, when I go to countries, I do different I do the fun stuff like this is what you can do. Let's go ziplining in Costa Rica. But then I also take the time to to talk with the people there and tell their stories. And, and what do you want people to come when they come to your country? What do you want them to know about you? And there might be an interesting um, cultural um, story in that in that vein as well, just the, to round out everything.
0: Now, it seems like um, because you said about not looking to the left and the right, and focusing on yourself. It's funny that you said that you study world religions because um, when you said that, like it seemed almost kind of like Zen Buddhist, like like a Zen Buddhist type of statement. So I'm wondering how much um, how much your experiences and then your education have uh, influenced you know your own views in terms of um not only telling other people's stories and relating to others but um how much they've helped you uh grow and develop as like a person and a journalist and a you know professional
4: oh that's an interesting question um i remember when i first took so the at, on the campus of ucla that particular religion it was like at the very very back of the the degree um, was in the very back of the book and it was really tiny and, and it's a small department and I remember when I entered it, some of the seniors were saying oh, if you have a religion uh, you, by the time you finish, you're probably not going to and I remember that scared me because I really, my religion had served me well at the time, mm-hmm. but what- I actually, did, so I was determined to, like, hold on to Jesus, right? Right. <laughs> but, still, but still get the full experience of trying to be open-minded and, and learn what this course was going to teach me. So what it actually did was actually help me embrace my beliefs but understand others. And then going back to how that has served me is that it just keep, helps me keep the open-mindedness for everything in life and I think I'm very adaptable so like when really really bad things happen I'm able to not like I allow myself to and it does seem like very zen and buddhist (laughs)
2: Like,
4: like allow myself to to feel what happened and and then I kind of move on from it too but I, I but i allowed myself to feel what what i'm supposed to feel because i learned that you can't suppress things because it will bubble back up so i think what you were asking is i it's a i think i've embraced the best of all of it but my my actual conclusion from my coursework and study is that there are they're more like than different right. and and around the world, this, basically the same principles, despite what we're calling them, are true. And the foundation, all of it, it stems from love. So, yes, I, 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 I'm I a total hippie. So.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> Which is the reason that since I've been off air, I don't know if you find pictures of me online, I grew up, I'm on that border um, part of the generation where like we were told and i remember being told early on that i needed to have that clean cut broadcaster look so i straightened my hair but since february of this year i have not straightened my hair and so i've embraced my hippie self
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's
3: great Um, (laughs) yeah um you also played um sports at ucla
2: right
4: um yeah going in I, i started playing basketball and then i actually screwed everything up um i in the off season going in my freshman year, I injured my knee and that made me lose my scholarship. So I still went there. um, But I lost my scholarship, which was cool because I don't know. It was, it, i think that was just my like it took me a while to get over that because i loved with all my heart basketball like i can't even explain i was that kid that like would go outside and play by myself and you can't you know if you love it that much everybody doesn't want to play with you all the time so then i would just like fine i'm just (laughs) dribbling, and then i'm just (laughs) hoops you know and i loved it loved it loved it and so it was really devastating the time i remember the cutoff or not um being able to play and so I w- I'll give you some time stamps because I graduated in 1995 and so that was the year going into 90- 95. and by the way I would have played for USC with under Cheryl Miller who I really wanted to play with which a mm-hmm. full circle moment is I, I ended up working with her at Turner Sports
2: wow. um, mm-hmm. but she
4: she retired that year or she stopped coaching that year at USC. So I was like, well, let me just go to the prettier campus. And so, um, going, I, 1995 is when I was the last time I played basketball. I was not able to look at women's basketball until that, um, Tennessee records game, um, with Candace Parker. Do you remember that? I forgot what year it was, but mean, like five or six years ago. But Tennessee and Rutgers, and it was like the big, a big national championship game for NCAA um, women's basketball, and it, it, I think it was literally like ten years I had was not able to look at women's wow. basketball um, because it was like my heart. But now my heart is. I wish my path took me to play tennis because I play tennis. Like, like I put myself like on a semi-pro uh, uh, tournament schedule.
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Well,
0: wow. yeah. <laughs> how is yeah, that on sure. your knee? Because I know that, you know, like a lot of the knee movements and, um, in tennis, you know, you're like the, that the back and forth and everything like that. Like, are you able to,
4: yeah, uh, I'm pretty good with it. Um, only every once in a while, like I'm talking about every six months or something, does it feel weird? But because when I stopped playing basketball, I didn't I didn't play anymore, so I wasn't that hard on my body, mm. and I and I barely worked out. Um, it was I was one of those people who grew up really really skinny, and then when you turn twenty six, I turned twenty six. I remember twenty six was the landmark. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? How come I can't just eat everything? What is come? What is this? A belly? You know? <laughs> so um, yeah, so I was I I was pretty easy on my body. most of the time and i didn't start playing tennis until 2009 um and and went all in and the reason i started playing tennis by the way was when i saw wimbledon in person like can you imagine like you see what it looks like on television on the first and I saw it in person and then I saw people which is not shown on television that these old people were trotting along and carrying their tennis bags and they were going to play tennis at Wimbledon because there's an entire senior circuit so it made me think the loss that I had from basketball and I kind of alluded to it earlier that you know no one really wants to play with you all the time and you kind of have to play by yourself. Tennis is is a strictly individual sport so, like it, it i can win and lose and start and stop playing on my own merit. I don't need four other people to make a team and and to play the to play the game or the match uh-huh. and so that was seemed so empowering to me, so, I saw this visual of these old people playing competitively, and so as you can tell, I'm a competitor, I like to win, <laughs> and that's how I am kind of with my drive in my career as well is like. You can't tell me no. And even when I was covering sports, it, like asking somebody, can I can I talk to LeBron James? And then they're saying they say no. That means you're not the person I need to ask. So I'm going to ask somebody else. So right. uh, I'm kind of like driven in that way. I like to win. And anybody who knows me, in fact, it was funny um, in Charlotte, the um, Charlotte Motor Speedway. They would always have these events, as you can imagine. Like they have uh, races twice a year, and then the All Star week so most of the year and this happens on most of the tracks across the country they try to fill up the track with other events they'll have auto shows and and they'll bring minor races and all that stuff there so to promote for the media they would invite us out to the different to like a media day for something so they had like uh they'll have the um legends car races and they'll let you drive the legends car and give you a real trophy and a real prize so they always knew to call me because they'll say davy there's a trophy if you come and i'm like okay i'm there and i would switch my (laughs) schedule around (laughs) so my photographer in charlotte used to call me a trophy chaser because he was like you just want the trophies and at that time when i was in charlotte because i was so bored because charlotte was boring to me (laughs) (laughs) Mad love mm-hmm. to Charlotte for the lessons I learned, but socially it was kind of not my vibe. Um, and my so I was feeling that he was he knew I was playing all of these tennis tournaments and trying to collect trof- trophies because you get trophies when you win, and I hated second like second place trophies. I don't like. I just think you should not give them out, but they would spend the money and do that. So he called me a trophy chaser.
3: Um. <laughs> um. So going back to UCLA, you you also went there um, around the same time where uh, when California banned affirmative action, and um I, I was curious to know if um you noticed like a change in the in the uh, demography on um on campus during your time there.
4: Definitely, like okay, so you guys remember in there was a lot of black people on television in the late '90s, right? There were mm-hmm. a lot of right, uh, and and you know that you also know the influence that a different world had on black kids going to colleges in particular HBCUs. So you, we had this idea ideal of what college would be like, and you got to do things like protest and then go to the quad and watch step shows. So literally my first week of school. It, so the year the 1995 was the year that they pulled a affirmative action, um, or the, it went to court or something. And literally my first week, they, they, the, the older kids talked, um, reached out to all the younger black kids and they said, we're wear black on Thursday. We're marching. And my eyes lit up. I was like, this is what college is about. We need to to protest. <laughs> so I literally remember protesting and walking, but it was more like, yay. It wasn't more like, <laughs> you know, understanding the cause and the consequences. Well, the Daily Bruin would keep track of the, decrease and decline since they pulled affirmative action so they pulled it i think the very next year so the the students um from 95 and 96 go the, the freshman classes going in those years had the benefits of affirmative action and i remember them dropping giving a number that by the time i graduated there were only 350 black students on the campus of ucla which has in um a, a nearly 50,000 50, um, student campus, in that. So
2: 350, and that
4: three hundred fifty. You know, the only people going in were the student athletes, the black athletes at that time. And I will tell you that I used to always—I uh, have no shame in saying—I know that when I lost my scholarship, I got in by affirmative action because the valedictorian and salutatorian from my school didn't could not get into UCLA. They had to go to, not had to go, but they went to UC Irvine, but they could not get into UCLA. And I knew affirmative action served me. So, yeah, that was that that time period. And it made such a difference in who got in. Because when I graduated in 2000, there were 350 total in the total student body. So freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And so you know who that was. That was the student-athletes.
3: Mm. yeah um I had I had the chance to uh, to uh, to study at UCLA for a little bit in 2013 through a uh, um, through this through this summer Institute at the Ralph Bunch Center and um, I, I noticed that I didn't see any um, any people of color in the area and um I noticed it even more, like, you know, walking throughout Westwood, and um, it was like a group of us, maybe about nine or ten black students who were a part of the Institute, and I'm um, walking up the street one time, maybe, in a you know, the third week or so um, of being there, um, This we saw this black guy, he came all the way across the street just to say hi to us, and he literally said, hey guys, I'm just really saying hi to y'all because you guys are black and I haven't seen any anyone in a while. <laughs>
4: Right, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah, and I think they just misunderstood what affirmative action did um, to diversify the campus, and there were there were a lot of Asian and a lot of foreign students, but there weren't that many black students. And we all kind of clinged together in that same that experience that you said is not unusual. Kind of clinged together to to basically we know we know each other so i went the year after i my freshman year then baron davis that was that was that whole era so baron davis came for in and out but when he came we knew he was going to be in and out <laughs> so and we also had a we had a, the time that i was there we had a lot of people who remained in the league for different leagues and nfl and all of that for for a long long time so i think i think the stat is still um is still there that we it's I don't know if it's a little enough. I, I think between us, UCLA and Ohio state, we have the most uh, professional athletes across all leagues that includes baseball, tennis players, um, and NBA players in at, at, at any current time, like at any given time we have the most professional athletes that we have fed. So, Wow. That's that's something that I always brag about to the um, rival school, and to my friends who went to the rival school, which is USC.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, um, you, you, you mentioned something, um, I think in a, another podcast you were on when you said that you had the help, um, you had you had help from a program dedicated to Black student success while you were in college. Yeah, was that was that you uh, through UCLA?
4: It was through UCLA, so um, I forgot the name of the program, and I I, I don't think we I, we think I think we called it the Black Student Union. But okay. when they introduce you to that, um, somebody usually finds you and tells you this will be a resource center for you, um, and they're interested in success for Black students, um, and and so that i'm not sure if it still exists but it was crucial because that learning curve that freshman year for me um because school had always been easy for me i had no study skills and so um the learning curve got me kicked out out of my freshman year and then they reached out to me and provided a way for me to take free summer courses there so they funded it I think if I I think there was also a stipulation that if I did wasn't successful in those courses that I would have to pay them back so that was also drive another oh, uh-huh. driving factor for me but but also it would it was their the relationship that they had with the university directly even though everything was on campus it was I think they were just an advocacy program within that that they that they came up with this grant program that if i succeeded in the summer courses then i can be re-estate reinstated as a full-time student in the fall so that was a little whew, everything could have changed in one moment um reality check for me because i remember going back home and thinking like uh this is and you guys talked about like how i deal with like uh, the speed bumps and 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 my journey and it, it was kind of like yeah this is the 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 college dropout thing isn't me so we're just gonna have to focus and and get back there so
2: (laughs)
0: Mm. wow that's 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 crazy like um so I guess um coming out of college and then um moving to you said that you uh, moved into a townhouse with your roommate correct
4: yeah I was my last two years I was in her townhouse.
0: Okay, so like yeah. coming from college, did you have like um, I guess like menial type of jobs while you are trying to figure everything out, or did you just go straight into your career?
4: I I tried to figure things out and then had to operate. So I was I worked in the bank. Um, I when I was in college, I was I started modeling. Um, I always forget that part because it just was never me because i always had something to say
2: uh-huh. <laughs> and i didn't
4: really feel comfortable of like well you can't just judge me off the look thing um i have more th- more to offer so um, i always forget that part of my journey but that helped me a little bit and then i also worked at the bank which i liked for some reason i even though it was quite boring but i liked the the counting of the money, I'm a little OCD,
2: <laughs> so I, <don't, laughs> I like
4: that. But that was fun. And when you're when you're a young, like I think I started at the bank when I was like 19, um, and th- comparative to other menial jobs, like even though the bank could be like your career, it was paying way more than the other things <laughs> that were out there. So I always felt comfortable. Like I'm always, I can always work at the bank. Um, and until I got my first broadcast job, in between, um, that's what I did until I got my first broadcast job. And in between the Falcons thing, it took a little while before the um, CNN thing happened. Um, so I actually taught um, in Georgia pre-K. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> so that was some. That was that was interesting cause, because it wasn't getting paid much at all you have to physically like it's physically draining because you have to give your all to these little people because otherwise they they need they need to be entertained by you essentially or or you won't have their attention at all (laughs) um but then it was also rewarding at the same time because i was placed in a um, low-income neighborhood so because there are four and they are still kind of like babies. Sometimes I would have to abandon um, my lesson, hand my lesson off to the assistant teacher and tend to the needs of one kid who had just witnessed his mother go to jail because she's the local prostitute.
0: Oh, and man. He came
4: in smelling like weed or he I had to change him because... Um, he came in smelling like pee and so you know that was the rewarding part of of that part of my journey so um I, I knew I learned some great lessons there um but I also knew when it was time to like like get the other stuff working and then there was a time when I was ready to leave that and the the CNN thing was just budding and I started off as a freelancer but it wasn't enough to to sustain my all of my you know bills and stuff so i still had to work at the um, pre-k center i got an opportunity to work at a pr firm and so between the pr firm and starting out at the cnn thing after falcons vision um i was able to kind of go all the way back into um media
3: well um how was it being a can um model in la
4: Um, it was, it's tough. I mean, there, I mean, there's a lot of beautiful people. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tough thing to choose to do. And so I actually feel bad for people who that's the only thing you know how to do because, um, there's not much else to judge off of. And it's, and even though you're not supposed to take it personal, it, they're personally judging you on your person about the way you look at the time. Right.
2: right. And so mm-hmm. it's,
4: it's a tough thing to put yourself through. Um, and I, I just kind of decided like, what, why, why do I want that? It was fun for a while. Like, like I said, like by the time I was in college, I had when every, Oh, I always like to tell this part of the UCLA journey is that when all of those shows in the, in the nineties ended, they all went to our school or USC, <laughs> mm. all the kids. So Blossom was in my freshman dorm, Blossom. Um, wow. Waldo, Geraldo, Faldo was in all of my classes. So it was like um, Steve Urkel. Um, <laughs> like,
2: um,
4: they, like all those kids, they, they either split. Like I think Joey went to USC, but then Blossom went to our, to UCLA. Um, so they split there. So it was that time was interesting because my best friend at the time in college, her um, older sister was Cherry. Do you remember from Punky Brewster? Um, that was the black girl. Oh, you probably don't remember That's that. That's a
0: little bit before yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our <So laughs> time. I was like, who
4: am I talking to? Of course you don't remember no, Punky Brewster but Punky Brewster there was the black girl on Punky Brewster was my friend's older sister so we got to run up and down Sunset and plus there's a lot of rich kids who go to that school too so if you don't have a car I had a car but if you don't have a car like if you don't have the right car I had a Ford Escort but if you don't have a BMW you can hop on someone's BMW and somebody knows somebody's little daughter or somebody's little actress and that was the time like Gabrielle Union's older than me but that was like I remember seeing her around Black Hollywood so I was seeing all of this Black Hollywood stuff so it kind of helped me I guess to fit in at that time to say oh I model I'm with this agency that kind of thing too but it's all superficial so like it's funny that that was important to me then mm-hmm. and when i moved to atlanta it was a good reality check i didn't i came to atlanta kicking and st- screaming I, I moved here and thought i was going to move back six months because i was like i'm not staying here they're slow this is not like fun for me um but i think i was yanked out of la to to have a real reality check because the things i cared about about the things that were important meant nothing and they're also fleeting right right there's a time limit on who was hot in la at the time so those those moments were definitely fun to be able to like be with a little black actress and skip the line to go into the club on sun on sunset and to be able to say you're a little model here and there and show them the little work that you did and get invited to different things. Um, but but I'm glad that that is not the center of who I am or I didn't develop any more in that way.
0: Yeah, I remember, um, like, I went to Howard and, like, I remember um, I was a part of a group, like, in, like, a music industry type of group. And we were, like, everybody wanted to do something in the music industry so me you know I'm a rapper and I was involved in a little bit of journalism and everything like that and you know it's a big um, I guess you know being in DC there's a big market for parties and stuff like that so um, yes. so we would um, bring like celebrities and rappers to the campus and we would um, you know have like meet and greets format at um, different stores that were around the campus and stuff like that and then when they came to the club me and my friend we would um we we would like get vip access and stuff like that and people would always be like oh man you guys are doing it big you guys are doing it big and everything like that but one but it was like they were interested in what you you know called like the fleetingness of it and they didn't see the work that went in behind all the things that we were doing and i think that's one thing when you're dealing with entertainment people see what's on the screen but they don't see like the hours of work and no sleep and like how you were talking about um you know working in in media the weekends and nights and you know when people are out at the club and you know doing stuff like that i think drake had a line about that you know like while you're out at the party i'm making the part there songs that you party to. like yeah like, it's definitely a lot of work that goes in to make it look easy and effortless.
2: Right.
4: I think, Um. by the way, about Howard, so my one of my other best friends in college, she did a, a semester exchange there and loved, loved it. I had no clue what she was talking about because I was like, why would you... Remember, I'm a California girl. Why would you want to go to that school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lord knows what I was missing out on. Y'all were having fun over there. She could. She didn't want to come back after the semester. She found a little boyfriend over oh, there. Oh man!
2: <laughs>
4: she did not want to come back. Yeah, that Howard would have been fun too. And I remember it back then. That was it. Probably was comparable. That that probably was a fun time too. But it's a fun time to DC at that time was probably a fun time to stretch and kind of like have opportunity because BT was on and popping back then too right
0: yeah um I mean like I'm probably a little bit after the generation but it was still on and popping when I was there and like a lot of people it's kind of weird because BT and like how most things with um I guess quote-unquote uh quote-unquote urban media kind of have a stigma so it's like you know you would shoot for the stars and you would go for NBA in- or, uh, MTV or something like that but at the end of the day you always knew that you had BT to kind of fall back on <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> right
0: <laughs> so like I have a lot of friends that um, you know if they couldn't get it at Atlantic Records or if they couldn't get it at MTV or something like that they would um, do something at BT, whether it was online or um, you know maybe something behind the scenes with the TV and stuff like that and, and Sirius is in DC too so a couple people you know went to oh, okay. like Sirius XM and everything so but um, it's um, it's 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 definitely interesting going to an uh, HBCU and then you know um, talking to uh, black people who went to you know traditionally white institutions and Yay. the uh, difference in it because we used to go to parties at a uh, Georgetown and like it just reminded me of being in high school because I went to a predominantly uh, white Jewish um high school and then I went to an HBCU so I started off um, I think we graduated my class about 80 people and six of us were black <laughs> so yeah. um, you know we, we had the black student union and everything all the marches and protests we had that yeah. you know in high school so then when I went to Howard it was like oh man we're here now <laughs> like, right. like Like, this is what's up.
4: <laughs> yeah that's, that's how I always tease that in my high school there were um, you can count the black people in all the classes, um, and on two hands and two of them were my, me and my sister. So there's, there's that. <laughs> so I definitely understand that part of it.
0: Um, I was interested. Um, I saw that you're, and you uh, just spoke on it. You're interested in uh, NASCAR, and you first went into it kicking and screaming. So how did how did that come about? How did your interest in NASCAR come about?
4: So the the disservice that television does for NASCAR is kind of comparative to what, um, how hockey is translated on television. Okay. But uh, more so with NASCAR, the party happens before the fun happens before. And the little fun that you see at the end with the winner uh-huh. is just the taste. Um, the rest of it, you can—it's okay, and but it's really something that you have to experience in person. So it gets lost on television because they show the—they just—they probably start with the race, and then um, you see the cars go around. And if you want to be hypnotized, you can watch NASCAR, um, and then you'll go to sleep. But um, and you're watching for like tires to be blown. So the actual race at the at the track. You can feel the cars, mm. and so that is something that you have to experience in person. The fanfare; no other sport does it like NASCAR. And I'm t- so I wanted I'm going to paint the picture of what NASCAR is. Ninety percent of the teams are based in the Charlotte area. Imagine if ninety percent of the NFL teams were based in Baltimore.
2: Right.
4: So you get yeah. a sense of like. That's the hub, right? So that means at any given moment, you're seeing the biggest stars at the restaurant. You're like, shoot, that's Jimmy Johnson, and you can tell who they are because they're little micro people. (laughs) Um, So you're like, well, well, first of all, like I remember going to uh, then Bobcats, rest in peace Bobcats, because they didn't really do nothing for the ten years (laughs) they were around. Um,
2: But I remember Michael Jordan,
4: (laughs) (laughs) right? I remember seeing this like hot leggy blonde with this micro person like this little tiny person i was like oh and he has to be a driver it has to be a driver because who's going who's he that little tiny person is not going to pull this leggy blonde right this mm-hmm. person who's like twice as his, his height right and it, and it was i think it was um it was like jeff gordon or jimmy johnson but that's okay so that that's the hub but at each race every single week for most of these towns they come once a year, so it's the biggest party of the year in that town, right? Because so like you're in Bristol, and the race comes. It comes once a year. I think it comes twice or once or twice a year. But in most towns, like in Talladega, it's gonna come to Talladega once. And so, they've been looking forward to this race the whole year. So every, when they're on the this the chase and they're on these, uh, they're going to race to race every week. They get the biggest party of the year. So what they do is they bring the biggest stars. So I'm talking about like the biggest country stars. Like Carrie Underwood can perform in Charlotte before the race. Uh. They didn't get that on television. Uh. And so they, but the big, and then, you know, it's heavily sponsored, right? So they're bringing out the fireworks. This is all happening before the race. The other thing with um, NASCAR is there's no other sport that right before the athlete has to perform, that you can go right up to the thing that they've been working on all week and touch it. So this is what happens in the pit before the race. Uh, um, the drivers are posed right next to their cars. So they've worked all week to get this car right, and then to their VIP person, people or people who paid the money to to get into the pit. The drivers are just standing outside, chitting and chatting with you. Like there's no time for like game face, right? Right. You can't talk to LeBron right before the game, right? You can't you, you can't talk to um, Peyton Manning right before the game, or go up and, and take a look at his uniform and touch the balls <laughs> and stuff, right? And so they have the cars right there. So I think the act, the way that they serve, it's it's a heavily, um, it's they target the fan, and they serve the fan, and the fan is the priority. So all of this fanfare, concert giveaways, like a parade in some town like they have parades in some towns, um, for the for the race happens and it's a blast. And then on top of that, just the adrenaline that you feel when you're like, Okay, now I I understand and you're looking at the teens and you're looking at the pit crew and you're like, Okay, now like if you're there and you're like, Okay, now I understand what's about to happen. So now you're in anticipation for this. And then you you're now you're trying to catch up. Like if you didn't watch the poll you're you're like okay, who is going to go first? And you're trying to make sense of it all. And then you realize when you, if you're if you're on ground level and you happen to be in the pit and you feel the cars revving up. Like if you're if you're just a, a person who just likes regular cars and you like you like a, what a Dodge Charger the <laughs> way that revs up. Can uh-huh. you imagine this racing machine? Uh-huh. And then to see and feel it like if you're that close, you can feel it go by you um going over like 120 30 40 50 miles an hour Uh so that it's a total it's an experience that i encourage everybody to do and the other thing is i used to be when i started with turner sports they did a lot of nascar and they sent me to one and i was afraid i was going into depths of georgia like, when you leave Atlanta, then you start seeing confederate flags pop up on people's porches. And, and I'm this California girl
2: who is like,
4: what is going on? Like, this reminds me of all those slave movies. <laughs> 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 like, these trees and stuff. Like, what if my car breaks down? And so um, I remember going to my, my first race and being a little intimidated. But I, they know me at the track in Charlotte. and it, And it's still not as diverse as they want it to be. But I've never experienced any ill will or bad experiences from the tailgating. And, oh, by the way, these people, they'll tailgate. But, I mean, they'll bring their campers, and they will camp out um, for uh, the entire week leading up to the race. Wow. So, it's serious. And they'll, they'll invite you. Um, you know, Bubba and his and his um, wife, they will invite you to have some of their lemonade, and I always admonish you: don't drink that lemonade. Their livers have been preparing for that lemonade their whole life;
2: you <laughs>
4: shall be sick. <laughs>
2: yeah.
4: But they are they are friendly as can be. And I remember my first race as a spectator, and I went with one of my uh, girlfriends who is black, and we were so unprepared because you you guys are probably used to going to games where. Um you don't bring anything into the stadium, right? right? Yeah. Well these people are bringing their coolers and we're looking around like why does everybody have their coolers, right? And then the other thing is you're sitting there for four uh, like an average of 4 hours, right? So we were so unprepared that we started I busted out my camera and started recording it which one day I'm going to put it together. It was uh, it, we came up with like 365 things that you need to remember about NASCAR because first of all um, Charlotte Motor Speedway is huge, and it all looks the same at the at after a while. So we couldn't find our car after because we were like, I think we got off here, and it's at night, and then we we didn't have sunblock because we were sitting in the sun. That they gave us sunblock like the, the quote unquote rednecks because they were red. <laughs> 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 They were giving us sunblock. They were telling my friend, I don't drink alcohol, but they were telling my friend to pace herself. You're going to be here for four hours. Don't get drunk right now. Um, They gave us a sun hat. Um, We were so unprepared. But on top of that, I had to pay $8 for a lemonade. And I was like, does this lemonade massage my throat as it goes down? Because you can bring your own supplies inside of the track which I'm not used to because in most stadiums or arenas you can't bring outside stuff in so that was that experience in itself is worth actually That just reminds me I need should write that up because it's quite hilarious Um, what you need to know first time you go into uh, if you're used to going to sporting events this one's a little bit different and you can have a a, a better time if you could do that
0: so you have me sold like um I was listening to uh Bomani Jones podcast and he was talking yeah. about his first uh, NASCAR event and he was expecting something totally different than what he got. I guess he was expecting it to be like really racist and stuff like that for him not to be welcome. But you know, it was totally the opposite of what he was saying and you know, you've kind of confirmed that. So I think we need to make that trip.
4: <laughs> yeah. do I, I encourage you You'll do fun and you'll see um, you'll see, people there that of, of color um it's not a lot but it might just remind you of when you went to high school you know how to you know how to adapt
2: yeah exactly <laughs>
4: <laughs> and um also like i I actually did an interview recently but I've known him since he was 18 um for for one of my projects at um Bubba Wallace and he'll tell you his stories and he, um Bubba Wallace is the black driver that's on the um the Xfinity series. So the one right under the... I don't think they call it Sprint anymore. They just changed it this year. It's the Xfinity. But he's the the pro driver. And Mm -hmm. um, he's a black kid. And he's 21 and he um he was telling about when he was up and coming and he started beating the older guys and he was like I kind of tell if it they didn't like me cuz I was the kid beating the older guys or if it was because my color but he's like I don't care we're still winning but um but so I'm I'm not going to say that I I and me anybody that I've referred to go there no one's experienced anything um at, no one's ever told me anything that they've experienced so I would i would put aside that fear and go for it as like they they you guys if you're there they know you have something in common and you like you like racing
2: yeah. <laughs> you
4: like the cars
2: yeah is it, is it,
4: go ahead
3: oh I'm, oh I'm sorry is it is it usually like really during that time during the during the event
4: it's is it usually what
3: um like really hot
4: it just yeah, so so they have the like I think they have a longer season than baseball. They start in February, don't until November. So yeah, they have a longer season. than Baseball. Um, so you're gonna get all kinds of weather. Um, so if you go right now, it'll probably be hot. Um, I don't know where they are um, now because my other projects has kind of I I usually get my Bleacher Report update on what's going on <laughs> with yeah. that, um, uh-huh. but I haven't paid attention um, where where they are now. So they go they the chase starts a thing in October and they go through November.
2: Mm. Mm, okay
0: Um. now you're talking about it's funny because you know race and sports has always been like a huge um, thing you know going back to before any of us were born and I remember um, you know when I was younger my uh, mother she put me in uh, ice skating so I started like ice skating and stuff like that and I was like hold on this is a little bit effeminate you know taking lessons and stuff like that I was like let me do hockey and because you mentioned hockey early it kind of made me uh think of this so i started playing hockey and then i i experienced a lot of racism i was the only black person and like people would come up to me and they would be like i would be on the ice and it's funny because like um you know sometimes we don't know the ins and outs and the intricacies of certain things and um you had a blog post about the Winter Olympics, and oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, it made me think, like, um, like my mother. She went to uh, some hockey store, like way out somewhere, and got me a hockey stick. But turns out it was the wrong kind of hockey stick because when you're on the ice, you need wood, and when you're in the street, you use plastic. So I'm I have this hand-me-down hockey jersey and. <laughs> some hand me down pads and then I have the wrong kind of stick and for some reason the white kids were calling me slim shady <laughs> and um, <laughs> why? I don't get it. I, I like I never got it either but you know after that experience I never went back to hockey. I always loved hockey though. Um
4: I can imagine.
0: Yeah, it was it like like it like it was crazy. So um I don't know, like, whenever I think of certain sports, it just is like a turnoff. So, like, when you say NASCAR, you say hockey and stuff like that. I know there's, like, a lot more uh, prominent black hockey players now. Um, But, like, when it comes to race and sports and everything, like, what has your experience been throughout, like, different leagues and types of sports that you've covered?
4: There still is a lot of um, disparity in that, And I feel like uh, when I was in the depths of that um, in covering um, sports, I would always take the mantle as it's my job to tell this story through this perspective. So we fight a lot. Like I'm a part of the National Association of Black Journalists. Mm-hmm. And we also uh, we talk a lot about the importance of bringing diversity to the table of these newsrooms which it's just it just keeps going down and the reason is because when I go back going back to when I was talking about well, um, what I've learned from my degree is that they people see things a particular way through their eyes so when something that is so blatantly racist on the set on television by like a news person it's ra- blatantly racist to us sometimes we're like how did he even make it that far how does it get past the producers how does it get past the newsroom f- to be in the script for the anchor to say this and it's because there's not diversity at the table and so when I'm in the locker room and I'm and talking with these players when I first started out I used to I was like oh these guys are my age and it's so funny because as of last year they were calling me ma'am and I'm like oh (laughs) I used to be your same age but but I would say oh the kid so it's, it's a back and forth but um I I always looked at it them as my I'm telling the story of my brother and my approach was always that way so I would never blatantly and I'll tell you an example like it's now popular not to say Washington's football team. Right. But I've always intentionally always said Washington's football team. Um, but I never said, I'm saying this on purpose because of this. So my approach has always been just to do it, just to tell this person's story like this, just to make sure that you know this about this athlete because he's my brother. And he's not just this fight. Like Allen Iverson isn't just this this hood kid Fiery thing. He also. I'm going to make sure. Let me find something else that so we can humanize them, and so I think that's the biggest thing. And even what what is going on on a bigger scale in this country with um, Black Lives Matter and having to explain we're we're not saying all lives don't matter. We're saying Black Lives Matter too, right?
2: Right, right, right.
4: <laughs> also, and and it's and it's basically what we're seeing is how a cop can, um, Oh, you're reaching for something in your pocket. I'm going to shoot you in the head there. They, what I've noticed is that they don't see us as, as people, as humans, they don't relate to us. And we can see the disparity as when, when somebody, a white kid does something wrong, um, how they immediately empathize with him and go to his childhood and talk about, like, well, you should know that he was a loner kid or something like that. And they try to humanize that person just so that you just don't bear so so hard down on them. Um, and I so I think across the board from what's happening in our country about trying to say Black Lives Matter, we are humans is what we're saying, um, is down to the locker room is what I've always been trying to do to kind of to mend that gap this person isn't just the person that puts up um you know 20 points a night for you he is also this father who is you know whose mother died when he was 16 you know who he had to overcome you know nate robinson had to overcome this before he got here like let's humanize him and then maybe you can see them as a person so that's kind of how i've taken on to kind of close the gap because there is definitely a disparity but but it, it can be daunting to think about if you know when i become general manager of the world instead <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just i'll just file my report through my perspective
0: now um i guess you know switching gears a little bit you did a documentary um about the uh i guess the trayvon martin thing right
4: Right. Um, it's called What We Told Our Sons for Families React to the Traylon Martin verdict. Right. Um, and
0: and um, I was trying to find, and you know, actually we both were trying to find it <laughs> online and we couldn't, but um, you know, I'm definitely interested in seeing that and like knowing um, exactly what the content is.
2: So
4: what, it um, it's not online. It won't be online for about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, it is on we're on tour with it um we are doing a um screening and q a session with it in different communities and um i created that media for that person purpose well when i started it i um just wanted it on pbs and then pbs was interested but then when i was nearly when i was in the depths of finishing it um i was like this can there's more of these stories and this doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's done. And I was like, this can be a piece of media that um, provokes a discussion about race in America, race and racism, and systemic racism in America in a different way. So um, what I've partnered with Race Forward, they they are my activist partner, because I'm the storyteller, but they're the experts, they think about this and talk about this and have the data about this stuff every day to back up and as a journalist you always want sources right. you want that you don't want to say this many people are ki- killed without confirming this many people are actually killed so that's what they serve on that purpose and what we're doing is we do the screening and then let we were at, we kicked off the tour at Netroots Nation, um, a few weeks ago. Um, we do the screening. We have some points that we hit after we invite, um, it's, it's me on the panel, um, a representative from Race Forward and somebody from the local community. And we talk about these issues that are bearing down on our community and it's very flexible. It expands more than just Trayvon. Um, we talked about and Root Sandra Bland at the time. Mm. Um, we our screening followed that protest, the Black Lives Matter protest that interrupted Bernie Sanders and Martin O'Malley. Um,
2: <laughs> so everybody, <laughs> was,
4: everybody was really raw and emotional. Um, but this the film. I talked to four families. Um, one is a white family and i when i was creating it i could have easily done celebrities athletes but i i the thing that resonated most with me two things was i'm not a mother yet but i know i have two nephews and one day i would like to be a mother but what would i tell my son because if you recall the civil rights movement, most people didn't march. It's glorified now, you know, rose colored glasses. We think, you know, if you talk to old people, they, they'll claim to have some part in the civil rights movement, but most people did not. And, and in fact, the the stat that I got from Race Forward is that when, across the world, when social movements happen, five to 12% of the people affected actually participate in the movement. Mm. So most people Mm. are not, but, Going back to my perspective of seeing people, from where they are looking, most people, and what I've learned from traveling around the world is that most people are the same. People care about their family and providing for them and protecting them. And so, if I'm a mother and I'm thinking, like if I'm a mother, I'm going to use these life incidences to say, "Hey, son, you see why he got arrested? Because he tried to rob the bank." okay, so with Trayvon Martin, what do we tell our sons? So that's where the, the title comes because what did he do wrong to die that day, right?
2: Mm-hmm. He, was,
4: he was in his own neighborhood. <laughs> he was going to the, the store. Like, okay, so how come he didn't come home alive? And, mm-hmm. and I also thought, okay, I could tell this story. We, we can I can go and seek out Steph Curry because I know all of his family. I can go and seek out um, these celebrities that I've met along the way to tell it, but we always hear from them. And in fact, we did hear from them on Twitter, but this affected everybody. And so let's give voice to like the regular people. And so it ends up being very moving because I selected families. And this is and that goes back to the families I selected. I don't outwardly in the film say I selected uh, families that had both a mother and father. You can just see that. But mm-hmm. since creating this stuff and it's my thing i i get to tell the story the way i want to and it's not an anomaly that that there are black families that had (laughs) that have a mother and father in the home in fact when i was um auditioning families or casting families i auditioned 20 of them and they all had a mother and father in the home um but we the the part that becomes emotional is when you see a nine-year-old and 11-year-old kind of lose their innocence in the sense that they ask like I just don't understand why I'm different or why they hate me or why do I have to do something different like because some of them are growing up in white neighborhoods and so why do I have to why do I have to act differently when I leave and that's the part that's most heartbreaking to me but everybody that's seen it they'll they'll point out something else that that resonates Mm. so the the film and it's a half an hour is meant to start the to to a new way a different kind of way to have the conversation but then in the local community and that's why we bring somebody also from the local community we get to address what is happening with them so we're we're still finalizing but there are two universities in in Nevada that are dealing with they're dealing with a lot of gun laws against black and brown um, citizens and in North Nevada I think they're still dealing with immigration and they want to talk about those points as well and we can talk about whatever ails that community it's it's like a town hall forum but the brilliant thing that i think i'm doing if i can to my (laughs) is that i am extending the media if you go to the website you can see what phoenix told their sons so we have the documentary and that is it but with each town that we stop in we i'm going to produce a little something that i present at the end whether i go to Interview just a separate family, or what we did in Phoenix was a montage of just people. I, I asked them their Twitter version of what they told their sons because everybody has something to say, and there are even people that were like me that don't have children but they would tell their son something or their neighbor's son. And this one woman said, I just would like to hug him and she was a white woman.
2: Mm. So
4: I think, um, so that's what that project's about. So When I decided to take it on tour, I said, well, I said facetiously, I'll stop touring when when racism
0: ends. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's crazy because, like, you know, if you come to the East Coast, I'm definitely there because, you know, as you're talking about it, I'm remembering, um, you know, I didn't grow up with two parents in a household. Like my mother was in Baltimore, so I lived in Baltimore. But my father lived in uh, South Jamaica, Queens, New York. So um, I used to spend my summers out there. And that was around the time when Giuliani was mayor and, you know, he was cracking down and everything like that. And my father had diabetes. So he always told me, you know, if I go into a diabetic fit, don't call the police because the police are going to think that I'm a drug addict and they're going to beat us both up. Wow. And that always resonated with me because I remember when he told me that I'm sitting here thinking, okay, what am I supposed to do? I don't have anybody to go to in this situation. I have to, you know, me being, you know, probably like ten years old. I'm gonna to have to man up and figure it out. So, like a lot of times when I was up there, I was trying. Uh, like, like I just remember thinking about what am I gonna do? I can't call the police,
2: <laughs> right?
4: Like, I think um, all of those stories, like that, that is a powerful story. I think we all have those stories, and the diversity of the people who would like to contribute to that. Are not just black. The other thing that came up, which I'm interested to explore even more. Um, and I talked to a doctor last week was, I think we all have post-traumatic stress disorder.
2: Right. Like
4: we're, we're stressed as a people, like all the things we have to consider on a daily basis. And there's something else that I might want to, I was thinking about starting too. just a little small project is, um, my brother still lives in Los Angeles and my ex lives in Miami. And, you, people black men get pulled aside um i don't know you guys are in baltimore so i don't know if it's a commuter town or if you guys drive i think you drive at there right
0: um, oh yeah we drive like it's it's weird because the way the baltimore is set up you have baltimore city and you have baltimore county And so, like, when you move into the county, because, you know, Baltimore is a chocolate city. So we're, you know, majority black. We have majority black um, government. But when you move into the county, it's different. So Mm -hmm. I've been over, like, I've been pulled over hundreds of times. And so I can.
4: don't say it every day. And that's what I'm getting to. Like, you, black men internalize it, but it's not, it happens so often that they don't say. Hey, I got pulled over today. It just happens. Yeah. And I would love to do like a man on the street thing, just randomly talk to black men and say, how many times did you get pulled over this week? Just to give more perspective. And I think that's what I, what my role is in this is just to help tell stories in the way that I can, because I think now we all are kind of feeling like, how can I participate in this movement in my way? being authentic and not being like, I'm just going to bear down and act like I've been marching all the time with like D Ray and, and Netta and stuff like that, you
2: know, right. <laughs>
4: the ones on the ground mm-hmm. in Ferguson right now in like Wesley Laurie, I saw him a few days ago. It was so funny. I saw him the day before, um, the stuff happened in Ferguson and I know he had no clue that I knew he was going, he knew it was going to be intense going back to Ferguson but he didn't know that they were going to press charges against him from something that happened last year. And those people do the work and they're the ones educated. So when I went to net roots, I was soaking it all in, but I was, I also felt kind of like, I need to read more. I need to read more books about what you're doing. Like (laughs) they're, they're pros at this, but that's, I, I also had to just accept what, what my role can be and what, I can do is just to help tell these stories and the the kind of like the untold stories not the popular stories but your story like your story it that shaped your childhood like that and that added stress to a 10-year-old like I can't go to the police and you know right like because that's not the police that's on Sesame Street because that's not the reality <laughs> um, but I know we all have these stories and I think if we can just tell them like the the one the asking black men like how many times they got pulled over it, I think will shock white men cuz they don't they don't see it
2: right
4: yeah. got pulled over 3 times this week yeah you didn't tell me because it happens all the time. I got pulled over three times this week, but I got pulled over 12 times this month. You know? So, yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, um, uh, uh, another documentary that you're working on um, <laughs> entitled How Sports Saved My Life. Um, does the behind that documentary have something to do with um, with your attempt to humanize athletes?
4: That, I, I, I think all the stories I tell from the beginning, I try to... Mm-hmm humanize the person i try to tell you their story so um but this one actually started when i was working at nbc charlotte and we went to go interview andrew lovedell who was the right hand man to um steph curry on the 2008 davidson basketball team and they were the cinderella team in that tournament that year um I made it all the way to the elite eight so um and davidson's this tiny tiny little school which i before moving to Charlotte, it's a, like a suburb of Charlotte. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Is the Davidson town, but I really didn't know about the, the the town or the school, which I think most of America did not until that basketball tournament. So I was told about the things that he was doing. Andrew Lovedell was doing. So we we shot. I shot like a two hour interview, which for television is was only still going to be like a three minute story at most. Um, But I was so intrigued that I just stayed there and asked him every single question about his life. And so I left before we ran it and I asked the photographer if, if they ever ran it. And he said, no. And he's like, let me just give you the footage on a CD. And then I, I was already in the space of my production company. So I started putting it together and, um, I had all the interviews. The only interview I didn't have was Steph Curry, but I was like, I get Steph Curry anytime, which is funny because then I started back up on it after I finished um, What We Told Our Sons. And that, that was this year. And it was funny because I had to go back to Charlotte to get one little vid piece of video. Andrew Lovedale, go, uh, once a year, there's a game. The, the college has a game in his name that they sponsor and donate to his foundation and um so i went back to go shoot that for B uh, b-roll and i was joking with them i was like guys i'm never going to talk to steph curry he's like the king of the nba now and we were all laughing because i, I know his aunt his mom his dad his brother and and the message i was sending messages to his people because i thought i can catch him when he came to atlanta and it was his last game be- before the all-star game was in Atlanta. So I was like, I'll catch Steph. And he kept sending messages he wanted to, but he was getting pulled this way to shoot an express commercial. I look and bit on TV and he's on the biggest billboard in Times Square. And I was just laughing. I was like, I'm never going to talk to Steph Curry. because
2: he's like, <laughs>
4: And then I was like, oh, I know. I'm going to get him when he. Uh, and the funny thing is, the story isn't about Steph Curry, but he needs to be in it because he's crucial to it. So um, he because Andrew was his right hand man. So he's going to give perspective and he wants to do it. He knows about it. And I was like, I'm going to catch Steph when he comes home back to Charlotte at his annual conference. Um, golf tournament but you know what his wife is pregnant and they they sent a message we're like he's not coming home this year because they're building a life um in in um oakland and or sam i think oakland i think he's staying in oakland and he's like and and she's pregnant and she's due in june i was like and that's when the tournament was so i was like i'm never talking to steph Curry.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. so
4: he's literally mm-hmm. the last piece like the, the doc is really done because it almost started out then i just had to um, tweak some things, but um, the interviews are all there except for for stuff. So when I get that, that will be done, and that will I'm sending it to. There's a Southern Lens um, series, and they've already requested to have that um, in their in their I guess repertoire of things that they'll will run on all the PDA, PBS stations in the South. So,
2: yeah. Wow. Cool. <laughs> wow. That's-
0: I mean, I hope you definitely um, get that locked down eventually. It's um,
4: yeah, it will. It will happen. It's just funny that I was. I kind of was like, no, I didn't put a priority on that because I was like, oh, I can always talk to Steph. I just call his aunt and we like where's Steph, right? <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: And in the meantime, you also have your um, travel show that you're working on.
4: Yeah, um, I've always love traveling and um like i said when i was in charlotte i had a little taste of that on the entertainment and lifestyle show i was on um and i've made that big a big part of um what i'm going to be focusing my career on now so um we'll be um i i have a couple of interested distributors um but i have a timeline it's gonna launch no matter what um in January, um, we put out some teaser episodes um, and I shot a pilot. I I funded and shot the pilot through my um, production company and we shot the pilot in Hilton Head. Um, But in the meantime, I've just been still traveling Like from the beginning of June until last week. I I was traveling every single week and collecting content. So I also contribute my content to U.S. News and World Report. But, um, it was, the purpose was for this, um, travel show. So regardless, and initially I was hoping it might be, um, we were shooting it, um, in segments that it can be a half an hour show, but I feel like it's going to serve better, um, online, um, because you could just watch it whenever and, and people forever and ever can come across it and just try to get into it. And, um, the idea is, it's called Beyond the Usual. So it's kind of, I, I always say I do experiential travel. So I'm not the kind of travel, if you look on my like Instagram or any of my social media, you know sometimes the people, there's, there's this whole thing in the travel community where it's kind of braggadocious like look at me i'm in fiji right 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 (laughs) where are you in your cubicle like but and i got some feedback which which i'm like good i'm doing it right is that i hope to inspire people and i also in my research and just talking to different um, people i've been consulting with there are two kinds of when people watch travel shows this comes from the travel channel which kind of changed my mind about it too I I tell I like to tell the stories about like how you can do it too, and I still will do that. But the Travel Channel's research showed them that fifty percent of them, their audience, their, the entire audience, is never going to go where you're going. Fifty percent of it. Of the audience just likes to watch you doing it and then get the information from you and tell their friends. Did you know in the Philippines that they
2: do <laughs> this? And
4: other fifty percent of their audience that they found have been there and they like to watch it for nostalgic reasons.
2: Mm. So mm.
4: that was mind blowing, and this process too because I always care about like making sure that I'm doing this but this is how you can do it too. So I still have that approach because the things that I do that might be more adventurous, I like to remind you that I'm just a regular person like you. And the reason I'm doing this is because I tried and you can try too. And it's not that daunting. Like I might be ziplining now, but at first I wasn't ziplining. At first I was trying this. So it's going to be a combination of that. So there'll be a lot of like, there'll be some wanderlust stuff and stuff that for that audience that just like, I didn't know that you can walk from Tokyo to Kyoto in Japan. I didn't know you could do that. Um, (laughs) Which I have a Japan trip coming up in October, which I'm excited about. Oh man.
2: Um, (laughs) Okay.
4: Yeah. But, but then the other part will be like, you can do this too. Like the teaser episodes are the, you can do this too. So there's one about going to a pro tennis tournament and I'm going to include, that's the other thing that I'm excited about. It's going to be, destinations but it's also going to be like sports so i'm going to try to book something for the kentucky derby and it's going to be like how can you do the kentucky derby so i did a pro tennis tournament because they were in town i was i wanted to do the u.s open which i was going to do but i'm booked on something else that week i think i'm in la that week but um when the i i say this is how you can make the most of a pro tennis tournament so good for you you bought the ticket to the pro tennis tournament sure you're going to want to watch tennis but what if you can have lunch? with the brian brothers what yeah you can have lunch with the brian brothers that kind of mm. stuff and mm. i did the slide in the city which anybody can do but i kind of show you i put on my gopro and my i
0: saw that one yeah water <laughs> yeah.
4: like okay you can oh, does this make you want to do this i hope i hope to inspire you to get up and do this in your town so that's kind of that is what i'm really passionate about in fact like i think I talked to a lot of other travel jur- journalists along the way we kind of we kind of all think the same like once once you have a st- I, I I know this for sure once you have a stamp on your passport just one then you don't have to explain it to anybody the to the other person if the people travelers all speak the same language and so like right now I'm I this is kind of I'm in the space for the next three weeks of like working from home and I'm so antsy. I wish I was somebody somewhere right now, mm-hmm. which is hard for me to get married because unless I marry another traveler,
2: right? Right. Yeah.
4: <laughs> going to be somebody is going to always be at home kind of waiting, but I have this urge to just be out in the world, um, immersing myself in the world, learning about the people and coming back and sharing it with, with people. I just think that is, it's so healing. And I think once you travel, you understand there you have more love to give like you understand you see that people are the same you know and and there's 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 something to that so I hope to merge all of those things together with the sports and the like with the travel and the sports so I'd love to go to the Australian Open all of that stuff is on my list so I'm going to embed the destination stuff but also with like how you can go to the Australian Open
0: right and mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm so interested in that because, you know, I've recently, um, I'm not as well traveled as my cousin here, but um, I um, i recently got my passport this year and I'm so antsy to get a stamp on it. And you actually yeah. had an article um, on your website. I was looking, um, was it the Daily um...
4: Daily Affair? Yeah.
2: Yeah, so Daily Affair.
4: I'll tell you, let me tell you about that really quick. So that's a um, um, our lifestyle website. I have 10 contributors on there. And we talk about everything there, so thanks for checking it out.
0: So <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. I, it, 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 like if you need an eleventh um, an contributor, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, for sure. We I've been looking for a male contributor, so we we'll have to talk after.
2: <laughs> um, you um, also.
4: Well, but you were talking about like was it the article about the one um, traveling internationally one on one? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. um... Yeah, like definitely, I'm definitely interested in you. You know, it's it's so daunting to think of where to start. Like, if you're thinking of going somewhere, like you have to think of so many considerations. Like, one, the plane tr- fare and the like, the uh, I guess living arrangements and everything like that. Right. Like, um. But like you know, I look at your um your uh, tester uh, episodes for your travel show that's going to drop in January and. I'm like, man, like, how, like, you know, how are you doing this and how can I do this? Like, that's how I'm thinking.
4: <laughs> I could tell you, okay, I could tell you how to start. So even if you didn't, I, the easiest way to start is um, pick a country that speaks the same language. Mm-hmm. If, that's like getting your feet wet. But the other easy way that I always tell people to start is to literally go to Skyscanner, which is my favorite episode. Favorite search website because you can put in destination everywhere, and what that allows is to let at any given time what is the lowest fare, and you can see where you can go. So, like, you don't know where to start. It's like, oh, I'm gonna pick a globe and just pick somewhere. Well, if you pick somewhere that is like in peak season, then you don't want to pay two thousand dollars for your flight. But the reason I went to Greece and in may of last year is i had been wanting to go to greece i was actually going to go to greece I had a colleague in charlotte she's from greece and um that's another way to get started like if you guys are talking you meet some friends out in the world and someone's from somewhere and you say you just say i want to go home with you next time you go home you're right like i have one of my best friends is from toronto like right. i want to go with you next time you go to toronto so that's one way to do it but I was going to go to Greece, and then a, a civil war kind of broke out in 2010.
2: Right, mm-hmm. a
4: little small civil war, and so she was like, "Ah, you shouldn't go home. We shouldn't come, We shouldn't go to Greece right now." Um, and they have some stuff going on right now, but it's still. I know so many people who have still traveled, and they're okay with it. But last year, I put in Skyscanner from Atlanta to everywhere, and the tickets were eight hundred dollars. Now, oh. it now there were other tickets like there were t- I could get I could go to the Dominican Republic for two hundred I could go to Mexico for two hundred or, or like two or three hundred but I saw Greece was like eight hundred. What I knew from my research from when I wanted to go in two thousand ten, I asked my friend because she her husband um, works there still so he goes back and forth and I said what's a good price and she says if you see it at a thousand dollars it never goes below a thousand so the closer to a thousand that it is buy it. And I was like, cool. So I had that as a, as a reference. And it was 800 So I was like, okay, guess where we're going? To Greece. I bought the ticket and then figured out the rest. You can always figure out the rest, the hotels. You can always find a place. And with Airbnbs, yeah. you're comfortable enough with Airbnbs. But it's kind of like the same kind of, you have the ambition of like, I don't, I'm not sure about it. But that's how I first felt when, when I went on Uber. And if you can do Uber, you can do Airbnb. It's really that organized
2: Mm. um
4: and they take care of you in the same kind of way but you can always find discounted hotels that that's the least of of your worries and so i also encourage you to do it this way and not do the whole package all-inclusive in some places now since i i also the also use my travel as as an opportunity to talk about conscious travel and i i use the hashtag conscious travel so i was going to say if you're in the dominican republic but we don't go to the dominican republic anymore
2: because mm-hmm.
4: we know why right yeah. because yeah. of their cleanse of the haitians, oh,
2: haitians yeah yeah right, yeah.
4: right. <laughs> so i i actually made a post on i think it was just instagram it, that why we don't go to dominican i use hashtag Conscious travel because we can choose where we spend our money, and there's plenty of Caribbean waters and islands for us to to go to. So we don't have to go there, but it's always very cheap, and in in all-inclusives can serve you where well. If also if you're a rookie, um, because you can test it out. There are in, inhibitions, and if you do, we'll talk later because I can tell you how you can make the most of that experience, and that is taking tours and whatnot. But I always still take tours because that's how you can see the land beyond the resort walls.
2: Right, right, right.
4: Um, but the first thing, if you don't... If, you, if you're if you at the space where you're like, I just want to see where I can go, check every once in a while on Skyscanner and put everywhere, and you can see what pops up as a, as a deal for the flights. And that's a good way to start, too. Hmm.
0: Skyscanner, okay. I'm definitely... Noting that down.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
4: yeah, but I think I really spent. If you go back to that um that post, I spent a lot of time breaking down like each step um what you should consider down to like how much cash you should carry and and um the things that people forget. Like I think most oh I know it always happens to me that you you book your flight, you know how you're going to um where you're going to stay, but you kind of forget about the ground transportation from the destination airport to the hotel.
2: Right. And
4: and most times you need to tip. So then I always forget about the tip because I'm not one that usually carries cash in the States. Right. So yeah. And I give a tip on how much cash I usually carry, um, depending on the country. You also want to make sure that you get a country that, um, gives you the most for your dollar. So, um, it and that also just it also just depends if you're on a budget or not. But like so European countries, like the the British, if you're going to London, know that it's going to suck your money twice as fast. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because they're not on the euro, then their pound is a lot. like yeah, the exchange rate is crazy. <laughs>
4: yeah, when I worked in, I think it's sixty four cents. <laughs> so that's that's crazy. But I think oh, but, yeah, that's um for one pound it's sixty four cents. So that's gonna. It's almost twice as um, much for for a sandwich. And that, that's going to make you mad because their portions in Europe are way smaller than what we're used to. So you're going to be hungry. So you're going to have to buy two sandwiches, and that's going to be uh, 30 bucks for just a sandwich for lunch, right? Oh, so,
0: man.
4: <laughs> not a fancy sandwich, just a regular
2: sandwich.
0: <laughs> but, but you got, you know, um, uh, what is it? Uh, um, eat to live and not live to eat.
2: <laughs> right. right. But,
4: um, I, I, I think you, yeah, I, I love the Caribbean, but I think a lot of Americans, I find it, I call it like a cop out. Um, it's fun. It's beautiful. It's temperate, but I would say try something in South America, more of like an immersion experience, a cultural experience is what, which will get you hooked. But seriously, if you. If you want to just go to the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, Puerto Rico, you don't need a passport, so mm. anybody can go, um, and it's easy because there's direct flights. There's a, many direct flights. The U.S. Virgin Islands is doing a lot of promotions to remind you that these are our islands,
2: hmm.
4: um, and there's <laughs> a lot of cu- there's a lot of culture there too. Uh, they have um, it's they were owned by their original... They have they have seven flags that they were under and now the U S but they were owned by the Danish, um, twice. So the original owners were the Danish. So a lot of their structures are built like, Denmark um and so it's it's a good place they're really Caribbean so you get that culture experience they have the accents and all that they have a they have a a carnival which I just came back from the U.S. Virgin Islands um during the fourth of July week because the story that I'm going to do next year is um a unique place which will be on beyond the usual one of the most unique places that you can spend the fourth of july i used to think would was washington dc right the nation's capital doesn't get better <laughs> than that well how about a place that celebrates the fourth of july and has a carnival
0: oh man yeah yeah you know <laughs> yeah. i you yeah. know
4: I, <laughs> they have a carnival on that day so
0: <laughs> yeah see i'm a, see i'm i'm see i'm of caribbean descent You know, my people, they're from uh, Barbados, and so, like, that's, like, my number one destination to get to first.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, But, like, you know, when I've gone to Carnival in D.C., and then I've gone to Fourth of July in D.C., and then I've seen it in Baltimore, and then I've gone to the West Indian Parade in New York and everything like that, and, you know, I'm trying to make it to Toronto, but I really need to get to, like, Jamaica and Barbados you know, Barbados and everything like that. So I'm like, how can I make this happen like ASAP? So you definitely given some great tips. And, um,
2: I'm- one
4: more thing is since you know the list of where you want to go, yeah, put send fair alerts to yourself.
2: Okay.
4: Uh, so you can go to kayak.com and put in like the destinations. Um, it will send you an email like as regularly as you want. Um, like once a week or every day if you're really trying to go then you can monitor every day but if you if you are just trying to monitor it have it send it to you once a week then you know the fluctuation of it so if you know like it's dropped as low as like 250 dollars to go to Jamaica or Barbados then you'll wait till kayak sends you it's that week so when it's like 350 then you won't buy it but when it goes down to 250 then you know to buy it so you can send yourself alerts since you know like destiny i want to hit toronto i want to hit jamaica barbados um that's that's a good way to keep that's how you make that happen Mm. But do you remember when everybody, like how everybody's in, all the black people are in Dubai? Yeah.
2: Like
4: Like you, you, you follow different people on um, social media too. And they'll tell you about the glitches that happened. And then if you, if you got, if you bought it, you got your passport ready, you buy it and you think about it later. So that's what the mentality I was talking about a traveler. So once you get that little, once you dip your little toe over there, you see them stamp your passport. Yeah, you
0: buy the it. flight and think about everything else later.
4: <laughs> it, the, everything else is not as scary as what you think. You kind of think like, I need to know what hotel first and all of that. You could figure it out, especially if it's not like a last minute thing. You can also do the same thing and monitor hotels. See, hotels are a dime a dozen. So hotels are looking to fill their beds and the heads is what they go by. Right. So you can negotiate, you can like, and then you, that's when you talk to people like, you know, anybody who works at the Marriott, they can, they give you your friends and family discount? Like you can figure out the hotel.
2: Right. So right, right. the, I've hotel, done sh-
4: the <laughs> hotel should not be your, um, hold up.
0: Got you. Got you. Yeah. I've done that state side. So yeah, if you're saying I can do it internationally, I'm, I'm, I'm on it tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs>
2: awesome
0: yeah Um, oh yeah since then like I definitely appreciate your uh, insight and wisdom yeah
4: no problem
3: um I wanted to talk like a little bit about um the kinds of equipment you use um when you record your um, your travel show and other things on other um productions that you're doing and I remember in a previous interview that you did you you know you ran down that you I think you primarily you record a lot of things with with your iPhone Um, and I was curious to know if, um, if I guess if over time you you constantly add to your arsenal of, um, various types of recording equipment, and I was curious to know how you would exactly incorporate the use of a drone, um, when you record, um, these various shows that you're doing.
4: I can't wait. I'm, I'm supposed to get a drone at the end of September, so I can't wait till I get a drone. I love the idea of a drone. So, um, for, The bigger productions, I do hire a crew, um, and we'll use anything from P2 cameras, which are the, um, it's hard to describe, but they're Panasonic kind of broadcast cameras, but the little small ones Mm -hmm. to DSLRs. Um, but a lot of these trips, they don't, um, a lot of these trips I am sent on by the tourism boards or, um. Different companies that might sponsor the the trip for their interest of me um, because of the audience that I can give the message out for. They just they're interested in tourism. So, in mm-hmm. um, when I between the content that I put out from U.S. News and World Report and some of the other outlets, I get about seventy five million unique views a month. So that makes me desirable for them to fund the trips. So that's how I'm able to produce the show while I'm on the trips, but I don't get to bring a a photographer. But that's fine because of the background. I've been in journalism for 13 years, and the stuff that I'm doing now, I used to hate the idea of what they call one-man banding it. But now I embrace it because these trips were on the go, were, we're we're moving quickly, and I'm able to flip out these two, cameras and and get it done so the bigger productions um there's a crew that might do it and sometimes there might even be two cameras when i'm by myself i use iphone 6 it's encased in a life proof case the life proof case is a free power case so it has an extra battery in it i also have a gopro and that has a waterproof case too i have a really fancy uh, monopod which people call a selfie stick Um, And it's really sturdy. I just added to that. So we'll talk about adding to it at the very end after I run through the list. But I literally had to do this list yesterday. So I think I'm going to make a video for the Daily Affair on what's in my kit. Because I get asked this at least once a week. Which is fine because it's fun to show that what I produce... Like By the way, the two teaser episodes, that was produced by myself um, on these two little cameras. I actually... The tennis one, I only used my phone, um, and the other ones we used. Um, I had the other people with me use their phones, and I used my phone. So just to let you know
2: <laughs> how <laughs> okay.
4: the quality comes out with it. But um, they, those are the two cameras. The um, GoPro also has a um, selfie stick, and I take that one when I'm in the water. So I can also shoot myself in the water with some distance. So the value of the selfie sticks is that I can make my, I can shoot my own B-roll. I can give some distance from the camera and myself with my arm and the stick. And it looks like I have another camera.
2: Mm.
4: I can also shoot um, stand-ups, which are when I'm speaking to the camera and it's not all up in my face it's um give some distance it would be the same distance as if I had a photographer with me um and it's been brilliant and exciting to see that what I usually needed a photographer for I can really mimic and look like I have a whole crew of stuff and because of my experience in journalism I I, I learned all the angles and all that stuff so it looks like I have several cameras at sometimes um the other thing is I have floaties, so because I do a lot of stuff in the water, so I will if I'm in on the if I'm kayaking or something, I'll attach the floaties to the cameras and so if they fall off of their tripods or whatever and fall into the ocean or the lake, I can, it will float to the top, so I won't lose it forever. Wow. Um extra batteries, um, suction cups, head strap, chest strap, so if I'm zip lining or whatever, the camera is always attached. Um, what else is in that kit Um, oh I've transformed um on my iPod touch so we don't really use our iPods anymore right Yeah, <laughs>
2: because yeah. These, are, these
4: are phones for music our phones are the are only devices and it was just sitting around and I was cleaning out stuff and I was like huh let me see something and I looked on YouTube and saw somebody had a, a how to video on how to um, convert your iPhone pod into, and a microphone. So I will use um, my, I have two lavalier mics and, and also a stick mic um, for interviews. Um, but if I did a sit-down interview, I can prop my GoPro and my phone and I have two cameras and I can do a formal sit-down interview with somebody. I can plug a lav into the phone and I can, if, if I'm closest to it, I would, I would put it on me and then I would mic the other person with my ex my new battery pack external ipod microphone so i think that's the gist of the kit um but yeah all of that and 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 now to the adding part so i had a regular tripod i mean a monopod oh i have gorilla pod gorilla are the ones that you can um grip anywhere so um it looks like a tripod but it has bendable legs So if I was like in an Amazon and I wanted to shoot myself with some distance or some B-roll of myself, um, and I couldn't prop it anywhere else, I can put it on the gorilla pod, put it on a a tree limb because it will go grab it. And then now it's propped up. So I use that, um, Mm. every once in a while when like, I just need it to prop gorilla pods are so handy. Um, And so if I, the the selfie stick that I had before, they were just regular ones. I was getting them free from different grab bags and goodie bags from different events that I've been to. And so I I was like, I vowed, I'm like, I'm never buying a selfie stick. Like randomly during the Mayweather Pacquiao fight, Butterfinger sent me a whole bunch of Butterfingers and um, a selfie stick. (laughs) So I was like, I never need to buy a selfie stick. But there was a difference when I, imagine if you're horseback riding and you're on, you have like they're made pretty cheaply, and I was afraid that I'm horseback riding and my phone's gonna fall off. So I was right. like, okay, let me invest in one. Um, so I paid a little. I paid only twenty dollars, but it's like a sturdy one um, that I will use. And, um, <laughs> and so that's my kit. But I, I get a lot. I get asked a lot about it. Um, it's fascinating to, I think techie kind of people too.
0: That's definitely us. And, you know, it's definitely impressive to me how, you know, you're an Emmy award winning broadcaster, but you know, you have kind of guerrilla tactics when it comes to getting the footage and everything like that. So that's definitely inspiration to somebody like myself. Um,
4: yeah, I think what you guys are doing with your podcast, um, and the research that I've been doing since I've been on this new journey with my production company is that we are in the right lane. Mm Um, we creating your own content, and that's what I'm doing with my production company. So, um, two things: it's like when I was working. I since I've just another thing. I, I since I've left, I've been offered jobs, full time jobs. Mm. Like, and I think since you last heard that other interview, I was offered another mm-hmm. job. But I know that working full time, you're in that box. They want right. me. Just do sports. Well, if I was just doing sports, I could never do my Trayvon documentary because they don't look at you like that. Um, but what I've learned since I, I go to a lot of conferences, I'm trying to learn this lane and with the pe- the innovators and what's next and how to stay relevant with this is that we are doing the right thing by creating our own content. It's exactly what is happening with the industry. Um, there was a study done by the BBC that they predict the first um, major news organization will be decentralized in 2016, which that seems kind of quick because that's just months away. But what that means, decentralization means that they're going to bust up the shops like CNN. There's not going to be a hub for NBC News. It's going to be individuals that they're going to depend on to news gather or to provide content. And so that's what I'm doing and that's what you guys are doing with your podcasts. You're creating content and um, there's going to be a need to put these things somewhere. And so you're in the right lane, I'm in the right lane. And so any other ideas that you guys have beyond <laughs> the podcast, it's, it's prime time to get it, get your your grounding for it because that's where the industry is definitely going. And so the guerrilla tactics It's been exciting mostly because it's been working. (laughs) Like, oh, I used to think, I mean, there have been times, like, I would say, I used to think I needed a full crew for this. And, in fact, when we shot the pilot, I paid for a full crew. I paid for two cameras, and I paid for a a field producer. Now, I still think the quality of Beyond the Usual will be upgraded a little bit once we are fully funded with the extra support because I believe in Mm. the power of brainstorming. So I might the ideas that you see me have, like when you see in the teaser episodes, those are just my ideas. But you can imagine if I had a like-minded field producer helping me, just at least one other person, we could take it to the next level. So so I do believe in having more than one person because brainstorming are usually my favorite things to do. In fact, I'm going to be brainstorming with some people, because I was asked by Fox Sports to create a show, um, and I've always wanted to do a game show, so I gathered some of my my friends that I know like might be interested in being on this project. Um, and next week, so I don't know when this is going to run, but in the, the middle of August,
2: mm-hmm.
4: I am going to have a brainstorming session just to see what we can come up with. I have my ideas, and then to compound it, that's just gonna, that's where the magic happens.
2: Mm.
3: Mm. um so so uh so when you travel to these different places um do you usually have people with you all the time or sometimes you just strictly do it by yourself
4: um lately i've been going on uh, trips with other journalists so um everyone on the trip has kind of like their own intentions on what their story might be it might be like a food writer and might and there might just be general travel writers or might be um like they just covered travel in general. Um, So I, we all individually go by ourselves to end up in that group. And there's usually no more than five people, plus the host that's taking us from place to place while we're on a trip. And so if I need someone to hold a camera They'll see me like managing all my my two cameras, and every once in a while they say, "If you need me to hold something, I will," and I'll take advantage that of that. Sometimes, like I'll do something with a distance in a distance. Like I want to climb a rock, and I want it to not. I I want to show distance with it. I'll ask them, "Can you hold this?" And I'll run over and climb the rock so that you can see me doing that. So that's how they usually operate.
3: Oh, that's not So I can imagine that, you know, in the evening when you guys are winding down, you guys uh, probably sit around and bounce different ideas off of each other based on um, everyone's specific um, topic that they're trying to focus on in in that specific area.
4: We do that all day long. So by the time, like, and they usually pack the trips from like nine in the morning to nine at night. So when mm. we're done, we go to sleep.
2: <laughs> okay. But
4: some cool. of us still try to work before. I usually try to work before and after, cause you're just getting all of this content and then other people are, you're, you're managing other parts of your life. So I usually try to do something before. Um, I know at this point, after by the end of the day i don't have anything else to give but throughout the day yeah it's always fun to meet up with these these people who get to do this for a living as well so we bounce ideas off and and everyone's curious and and it's a really open group like there's no one that's usually really competitive like no i'm not going to tell you my secrets usually people will share who they're publishing with and you know, no one really asks like what editors you're publishing to, but they'll ask, they'll ask, you know, how, like when I take a picture, I usually come across this and, and somebody will share how they have a fix for that problem or a solution for that. So yeah, it's pretty open, but we do that all day. So, um, (laughs) because we're around each other all day. So we share ideas all day and then by the end we go to sleep.
2: (laughs) Okay. Um,
3: so, so so when you do get your drone, um, and I don't know a lot about personal drones, but um, would you use it for, like, um, I guess, like, kind of like angles, or would you use it for, like, faraway angles, just, you know, to have, like, a drone just floating in your face while you're, you know, um, explaining something that you're doing? No,
4: it would, okay. it would always be for depth. So, um, like, when I was in on the pacific ocean we were in santa cruz island we saw um a super pod of dolphins which people have been asking my favorite moment so far this year and that was it um if you don't know what a super pod is um i'll i can tell you that after but if i could have on the boat set the drone up to go up in the air to see that angle or when we climbed when we hiked to the top of the mountain, I would have put the drone up to give depth. So it would never be hovering over that. I can use that with my with my selfie stick. Um, mm, okay. I can do a stand-up like that. But it's always to show, like, if I was kayaking, I, would, I might throw it up in the air. So I don't know. The one that I'm being sent, I don't think it's waterproof. There's one called the Lily drone that is waterproof. Mm. Um which doesn't come out till january but i'm really excited about drone it's just going to give me another angle another cool angle to show the depth like i did climb this mountain <laughs> <laughs> or i did i or i'm on this ocean it's just going to add to it so yeah
3: okay um and so so uh what is a super exactly
4: okay yes super so um um, dolphins are like puppies of the sea, right? You probably mm-hmm. know a little bit about dolphins in that when you see people go on vacation, they'll swim with the dolphins, and they—they're not scary at all. They're actually like puppies of the sea. They like playing with you. So when a boat comes, they—they'll start rushing towards you, and you'll usually see them. Like if you're on the ocean long enough, you'll see that the, if you're around dolphins, they'll come around, and what they like to do is they like to surf the boat. The boat waves so they'll be playing with it's like they're playing with you like a puppy and you'll hear them squeaking and stuff and they just give you so much joy so we were coming back from santa cruz island to head towards santa barbara in southern california and um our captain says oh he's from australia i see some wildlife ahead and you see if you can imagine something approaching you and then slowly you start to realize what it is. And the people who were with me, there was a photographer with me and he was like, you got so excited. You were little, literally screaming. I was screaming. I was jumping up and down because what was happening is that thousand, a thousand dolphins were coming around us. Wow. And that's what Bowl- wow. the us. So can you imagine a thousand dolphins? And the crazy thing is that we were taking pictures. Some people were taking videos. The videos and the pictures could not, did not accurately show, like, we were looking back at it. It could not show the depth of what was happening. And then there was this Australian guy next to me. He's the one who spotted it. He's He was the spotter, but he wasn't on the microphone. Um, and he was like, there's actually, it's like a pyramid. So what you're seeing is just the surface. There's, like, a pyramid. And so, like, there's a, he's like, there's actually a thousand dolphins be going up and down beneath and it was Mm. it was so magical that i i still get chills thinking about it because it's like you were blessed with to experience it it's like Mm. like can you i can't even imagine i can't i'm i don't think i'm doing justice by explaining like a thousand dolphins coming around and surrounding our boat and jumping and swimming and squealing and you can hear them you can hear them like squeaking and they were just having a blast and we were having a blast and everybody like i was i was jumping up and down and screaming like oh my god what is happening like they i've never in my life seen so many dolphins and and they said that's what a super pot is
0: so yeah well i'm i'm yeah. I'm definitely jealous of your life experiences. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, I remember um, recently watching the uh, documentary Blackfish and learning a little bit about, you know, those types of uh, animals. And just, you know, just to experience that in a wild, quote-unquote wild type of setting, you know, it must have been amazing. Like,
4: It was amazing. And I'm not really like a – I think that the other thing with this travel journey that has – um been eye-opening to me is that things that I used to think I was cool on like I was cool on the ocean like I really didn't like the ocean but I've been able to be exposed to these things and find the appreciation in that and I think me being the from where I started to where I am now is the relatable part and what I want to share with other people that they can and that they should do it and you really just do feel like you're you're living and like you should like I tell everybody you need to travel be- and you need to travel and make it a priority like and for me and the other like I told you when we there's this kind of traveler's code like you'll see travelers you'll you'll recognize them once you go to Barbados then you'll be in the club and. <laughs> and- and you'll recognize that the people, their priorities in their life are different. They're not, they don't, they're not buying um, Louboutins and and um, fancy purses. They're saving their money for their next trip.
0: They're they're uh, collecting experiences <laughs> and not
2: uh, things.
4: Exactly, and it it becomes so worth it, um, and it just changes you. So, like, yeah, I never. I mean, we saw two humpback whales who looked like they were dancing on that trip um and it was just magic like to be in the presence and i think it's it's i would compare it to like what i was explaining with that nascar experience to you have to experience it you have to feel the roar the rumble of the engine um on the track and so you so to see to be on the ocean and to see the humpback wells kind of give us a fin when they in in unison when they were going up and showing us their whole body looked like that they were doing that for us because
2: Uh.
4: according to like the the captain when he was describing it he's they said maybe they'll jump up and grab some some birds out of the air maybe and when they were doing it like so that gave me the impression that they don't do it all the time oh but you know where our boat is here you want to dance for us okay and you kind of feel honored that the earth that nature is is letting you experience those Mm. things
2: wow damn (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
0: that's definitely like an amazing thing like i definitely have to um experience that i i feel so uh ignorant
2: (laughs) (laughs)
4: yeah No, yeah, and it's not. That's what. That's why I go back to like I'm not here to make people feel bad or outpost you on your your. Like I travel, I follow a lot of travel um, bloggers and reporters on Instagram, and it 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 seems a little bit competitive. Like they're gonna outpost your pretty picture, but I'm I'm more interested in. encouraging you to like you to you can't yeah. wait to go now
0: it's like, like yeah it's, i mean i mean it's like you <laughs> said before you can't look to the left or the right you just have to focus on what you're doing now and you know just just go and do it um do you have in like like a travel itinerary or like you know what's next on your list
4: um yeah i always i look week to week okay i think i'm supposed to I think I'm supposed to do something with Black Enterprise, their golf and tennis weekend, and somewhere in Florida. So I'm here for uh, for the next the rest of August. I'm here. Then um, the first week of September, I think it's it's uh, golf and tennis. If not, then I'll go to the U.S. Open. That's hmm. what it was. Okay. Um, and then um, the week after that, I go to Los Angeles. I'm doing a training their uh, host training workshop and then I have an interview um, I guess I can say with um, E the network E Um, it's just it's just a meeting Um, I really don't know what's going to come from that it's just a meeting Um, and then it's also my high school reunion so I timed all of that for then and then uh, the week after that I think there's another trip but I always try to just keep two trips in mind I think in I know in October is when I go to Japan so that's the next big trip oh and then and and doing something in Barbados I am going to Barbados oh wow (laughs) (laughs) Um, so but it's all I just try to keep two trips ahead and the rest yeah but I try to book out what my itinerary for 2016 is what I'm going to try to what I've been trying to do this year is just gather as much content as I can because I knew I wanted to create that travel show Um, for 2016 I'm going to try to do one um travel um destination a month um on a regular and then I also will be doing a lot of public speaking gigs too so I'll be that's how my months will shape out so hopefully I have two weeks um and it can be divided where I can be at home base um doing the business part of it so that's kind of what I'm uh mapping out for 2016
0: Okay. Now, when it comes to traveling internationally, um, do you get into the sports of different countries? Like you know, like a lot of Caribbean and European uh, places, you know, they're big into cricket or like uh, soccer or fo- you know, football as they call it, and uh, yeah, different you know, you know, just the different sports like rugby in Australia and stuff like that. Like, um, are you into those type of sports?
4: I'm very interested in that. I actually have a show. Idea pilot called how they play for that. I'm just waiting for that to be picked up. Um, and it's it's called how they play. So uh, when I was in Rio in 2013, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, um, we think of them as a soccer nation, and soccer is certainly important. But what do the natives play? Is basically what how they play, uh-huh. and the natives play. Foot volley. Um, what is foot volley? They're beach, a beach kind of town, Rio de Janeiro. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So they use a soccer ball with a volleyball net on the beach, on the sand, and that's foot volley. And that's what the natives play. Um, so um, on this leg this year, we ha- I haven't really focused on the sport because I had already created the content for how how they play and I'm waiting for that to be picked up but um and the trips I've been taking we haven't I haven't had time to delve into that I requested that with the U.S. Virgin Islands but that never happened um and I think it's because there wasn't anything definitive but um yes so I am very interested and I hope that a show will flourish soon in that vein but I think didn't Dahani Jones do something like that um a while ago, I don't know if you remember that.
0: Uh, I'm not sure.
4: No, that. But mine is a little different because it's that example that I gave of Rio, but on a local level too. It's going to be international and domestic. So, what people may not know regionally, like there are, and regional games that people play here in the United States that most people don't know that is serious business. Mm-hmm. So, like the outskirts of of this little town in North Carolina, there's they actually have sanctioned lawn mower races where
2: they <laughs>
4: up their lawnmowers and they use a track. And every week for prize money, they race their lawnmowers. And that was one of the things that I did when I was at Charlotte motor speedway. That's how I learned about it. But then there's actually like, it's a series and they do it for two months out of the year where it's, it's, <laughs> it's a real thing. So that's how they play. Or there is some place in I think in West Virginia that holds the Super Bowl of foosball tournaments.
0: Oh man, I would kill in that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so like that's that's something that I hope um comes to light soon as well. So mm-hmm.
2: uh,
4: I am interested in sports always sports because I think there's a lot of powerful messages and lessons you learn in life for sport from sport.
0: Are you into um uh, mixed martial arts at all?
4: I actually am not. I actually. My my dad loves it though, and I if I was then I probably would have a job in that because I was offered that um, last year when I was um I went I was invited to screen the I am Ali documentary right and they were there, they were looking for somebody to do boxing and MMA um, a female that kind of just knew her stuff even though I didn't know it they knew I could learn it really quickly. Um, and I and they were going to fly me to Las Vegas and everything to like live and they even promised to introduce me to Mike Tyson because they were friends with him. Wow! <laughs> mm. And I was like, that's just not me. I never like, I never really liked boxing. But once I learned about the history of boxing and its roots in slavery and what they used to make slaves do oh, for their good. entertainment, um, and just even the demographic of who has to box, like rich people don't box.
0: I like. I recommend. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you've heard of this documentary called Dogfight, but mm-hmm. um, it goes into. It's made by the same guy who did uh, Cocaine Cowboys, and he goes. <gasps> deep, oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, he goes deep into um, this town in Florida where they have um, these um, not legally sanctioned fights.
4: Oh my goodness! Somebody told me about that two weeks ago and wanted me to go work it I uh,
0: it like the the documentary <laughs> is amazing like um it's basically just like these guys and they don't have anything at all and they're just fighting like they're just fighting they're bare knuckles yeah right? bare knuckles but yep. like when you go into the thing like honestly I think like UFC cause you know like we're kinda big in the UFC I believe that UFC should be bare knuckle because I think it would prevent a lot of head injuries um just because you have to think more about not, you know, striking because your hands might get damaged. But right. um, like they're bare knuckle fighting. Um, and it's interesting because even though it's not legal, the police, they kind of offer protection. And the police in the documentary, they said, you know, we love this because we know that everybody it's like in the city, anybody who would be doing crime, they're going to be here, and we can just kind of like chill out and be here, and wow. it's all going to be cool. But yeah, I definitely recommend a documentary, dog fights, um, dog
2: fight, uh, and just
0: uh, and just like the art of fighting and martial arts and everything like that. You know, at first I wasn't really into it because I'm kind of squeamish when it comes to blood yeah. and stuff like that. But when you get into the art and you start to know like the footwork and everything that goes into pulling off these techniques and you know Brazilian Jiu Jitsu when you get into the history of the Gracie family and how they came to South America and to, and like develop certain styles and stuff like that. Like it's really a, like a deep and intricate history.
4: Yeah, oh, it's just so crazy because somebody invited me to like it was. He told me it was a little shady, but they were looking. For, <laughs> they were looking for some people to like. I think they might. They're trying to make it legal or. But if, if they're working with illegal immigrants, then they can't make it legal. So oh, man. I think it was in Florida. Like, I think it's the same kind of thing. I've got to look at that documentary. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I don't know, that aspect of uh, sports is uh, really interesting to me. I don't know, like, when I think of sports, it's like um, I follow certain things because Certain things like, you know, baseball and basketball it takes a lot of time because, you know, there's so many games. So it's like, you know, I might follow the NFL, I might follow the Ravens going from Baltimore and maybe the Redskins because of D.C. And mm-hmm. be like a New York team and then like certain fighters you get into and stuff like that and it's really the um journalists who kind of bring things to light so you have um people like bomani jones and you have um you know the guys from first take and um you had you know uh scott and i saw your post on uh scott and everything like that and it's like these types of people who can um humanize the athletes and make it more relatable to people who don't even know what's going on. But it makes you kind of get into it. And that's the thing that kind of always impressed me. And I guess coming from your background, you know, you don't necessarily come from a journalism type of background. But you you know your stuff. like And, like, you you have that journalism thing down, <laughs> you know, about. Yeah,
4: well, I do come from journalism.
0: Okay. Yeah.
4: <laughs> but you mean I didn't study it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you don't have to study it formally because I did study it as I was training, like when I was taking internships. And right, right, was, right. Yeah, so you do have to learn it. And in fact, um, what I've been telling, like what we've been in industry-wise telling students is that um, don't study journalism. Get a expert, be an expert in something else. Like go be a lawyer and then you can, because that's how they're people in these days Mm. so go learn sports science or go learn you know something else because you can always do journalism right because you can learn the only the only way you do learn journalism is by practicing it Mm. Mm. so yeah so studying like you should learn how to write you should definitely take those courses and all that stuff but i still had so i just had a a steeper learning curve when I went into the professional world on like how it all worked and how to get better at writing and how to do all of that. So, yeah.
0: That's what's up. And I guess,
4: yeah, because like you talk about, but Jones, his degrees are in economics.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's interesting because the people who are most successful, I guess, or, you know, like a lot of times, sometimes when you look at it, like some of the people who are most successful in certain things, when you look at what they initially tried to go into, it's not, that at all
4: <laughs> right <laughs> right
0: and i guess um i guess like to kind of wrap this up switching gears a little bit um to get back into the music um looking at your instagram and everything and then just early uh, earlier you mentioned the big sean line so i was just interested in like your musical tastes um because you're talking about prince and how um he's dropping his new album with title with jay-z and everything like that and you mentioned big sean so i was wondering what you listen to right now
4: Oh, goodness. Um, uh, all-time favorites is what I've been listening to now. So it's been, um, you know, Mel LaRue. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I forgot that I loved um, Anita Baker, so I pop- popped that on regularly. Um, but then I went through the, hit, the, the um, phase just... Two or three weeks ago, where I was just trying to catch up to what the young people were listening to, <laughs> we listening to Hip Hop Nation and um, the heat on my <laughs> on my satellite radio. So yeah, I mean that's that's basically what what it's been. But it's it's really um, depends on the mood, I guess. So like if I'm feeling like what I would might work out to if I'm running around the block is um, actually it's lately it's just been. A because I don't know. I just been on that for a minute, but it can be anything. D'Angelo, oh, uh,
2: a lot, crazy? a lot
4: of R&B um, and hip hop. But I, I can do pop music. But I haven't done pop music in a while. But I can do pop music too. Mm. Um, that's the California girl in me.
2: <laughs>
4: non discriminatory with the music if it if it bangs. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've, I, like um, I've recently um, been delving into country. It's kind of funny because a lot of people say, you know, I listen to everything except country. But now recently I've been listening to commercial and, I guess, somewhat underground country. So, yeah, like the loop. Oh, but it's
4: underground country. That sounds
2: so intriguing.
0: <laughs> oh, um, there's this guy. Uh, what's his name? Sturgill Simpson. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Uh-uh. He hasn't get played on the radio, but um, he... He has this album called uh, Turtles All the Way Down, <laughs> and um, basically that's based on some type of uh, – I think it's something from the Bahá'vághí uh, I- – I can't pronounce it right now Baha- Gita, and uh-huh. – um, he gets his like psychedelic type stuff with his lyrics because like if you listen to country music right now on the radio, it's kind of uh, like all the same thing. Yeah, like, like we're drinking and partying.
4: Yeah, it's pop. It's popish.
0: Yeah. Um. But his stuff, he's trying to get like. I guess more into the roots of country and then talk about like his own experiences. Cause when you listen to older, like I'm not well-versed in country at all, but I've noticed that the older artists just kind of talk about how they feel and what they know. And so he talks about like psychedelic experiences a little bit and just like just weird type of things that you wouldn't hear in a, in a standard commercial country song right now. That's, partying and drinking and my girl and all this sort yeah. of this stuff well,
4: that's a, that's a um, country when I was in North Carolina I think I do it based on where I am too because I remember going to Rio and all I wanted to listen was to that kind of music um, yeah. so um, it gets in the mood but when I was in um, North Carolina I listened to country music and they 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 get real like, and and they bang too Like they don't, they, they play their music, musically, Mm -hmm. um, the instruments and the lyrics and their voices, they're all strong. And the other thing, which is funny because I knew a couple of musicians, um, in North Carolina and the way that country musicians record albums is live where, you know, like hip hop, it's all pieced together
0: and
4: each other and it's like room, but the other thing that i that i loved about it was that um I f- I f- my photographer at the time he pointed it out remember that nelly song with um who did he sing that song with His oh song?
0: i know you're talking about i think it was uh toby keith right
4: toby keith yeah. um he was like this lets you know that the the that they took because they were talking about the same thing <laughs> like they were talking about their woman, their car and their money i think and he was like, this lets you know that people are the same. Like, And the music is essentially the same. Like, The, the lyrics are interchangeable. Because this is a country musician and a rap guy.
2: Yeah. And,
4: and they, they, they were singing the same song, the same lyrics. And they meant something just a little bit different but they literally were talking with that like their top the top down on their car different <laughs> cars right yeah <laughs> one's a pickup and one's one's like a, a sp- fancy sports car but it's the same stuff
0: yeah <laughs> And it's interesting because, like, you know, even you know, listening to Johnny Cash, like his music was gangster, like yeah. <laughs> that yeah, was
4: Johnny Cash was gangster. That was yeah.
0: NBA, I'm, like, like that was NWA before NWA. <laughs> <laughs> no,
4: they are they, they're the real. So yeah, I forgot about my appreciation for country music, but it's but it's it's good. Like my sister will sing some country songs too, and rock out to it. Yeah. So there's no mm-hmm. shame in that. I don't know. Like I think it's just the closed mind. Would I, I? used to hear people say everything but country. So you can listen to hard rock and roll where the, like like it's screeching and you don't know like they're screaming.
2: Yeah.
4: No, I can't do that though.
2: <laughs>
4: that, that one, that one, I feel like grandma with that.
3: <laughs> um, uh, another interesting uh, country song as of recently is um is Chuck D where he. Has a song called Honky Talk Honky Tonk Rules, and um, Mick Jagger and the other guy from the Rolling Stones, who I can't think of, um, helped him write the lyrics. Uh, which is a ra- rather interesting song, uh, to say the least. Um, yeah, I want to say about that. Um, you should probably check that out too, if you're if you're interested.
4: So. No, yeah, for sure. I didn't know Chuck D did a country song.
0: Yeah, that um, song was uh, yeah, interesting, at yeah,
3: least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we didn't know he did either.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how did you find it?
3: Um, on on his Twitter, um, he just started randomly talking about a song that he did called Honky Tonk Rules, and anything. I don't, I just can't imagine Chuck D even even having a a song called Honky Tonk Rules, and I see a pic um of him promoting uh, pr- promoting the song and he has a cowboy hat on wow um, which is really you know he's known for the, for the baseball caps from back in the day and then i listened to it and i'm like huh it's interesting yeah <laughs> um yeah never thought that would happen
0: it's like interesting because like when you look at um like anytime you're into something, like when you're into music deeply or into sports deeply, it's like you're just into it. And you kind of sometimes you don't necessarily realize the connotations and things that come with different types of things that are going on with it so it's like you can be listening to something like uh, country music as a black person and people be like oh you listen to that or like um i remember talking to somebody like you know like frank ocean like you know his first mixtape was kind of dope and the people like oh you know he's bi or he's gay or whatever and it's like this is still just dope music
2: right right
0: and um you know a lot of times people don't necessarily get that or like you know how you have gotten into NASCAR and stuff like that or like when you look at black people with hockey or just certain things that don't necessarily fit the mold or the stereotype and how people tend to look at that sometimes it's really interesting when they're not uh open-minded
4: right I think when you're not open-minded you miss out on a lot of fun so like I always just used to say like I'm a fun seeker yeah like if it's if it doesn't serve you in fun, just don't do it. But you can't like inhibit yourself because you're not used to it or you never did it before or or your friends aren't doing it, right? If it's yeah. fun, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and do this, right? Yeah. Y'all wanna go y'all wanna go to NASCAR? Okay, fine. <laughs> <for me>.
0: Right. <laughs> hey, let me know I'm there. But um, Right, right.
2: Yeah, you
0: know, that's what comes with being like an influencer in your um you know, in your circle of, uh, people and everything like that. it's always that one person that does like the different thing or, you know, the person that just goes for it. So, you know, I definitely salutes to you for everything that you've done. Um, and, you know, we thank you greatly for, uh, blessing our, our little podcast, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, two time Emmy award winner and all of that. Um,
4: all right, thank you guys. It was a fun little chat with you.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, and do, uh, do you have anything to plug? Like anything, uh, any final thoughts or anything to plug or anything like yeah, that? Yeah,
4: you can, um, the easiest thing is if you can um, stay, you can follow all the things that I'm doing because I am doing all, all those initiatives um, on my social media at Davy Sutton, D-A-Y-V-E-E-S-U-T-T-O-N, um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook um and that's it because we got the um daily affair Mm
2: -hmm.
4: which is daily dash affair um but you can source all of that stuff if you go to my social media um and the um production company is dreamnetworkmedia.com what we told our sons is the documentary that we're um, on tour. You can follow that, um, to see when dates start populating, which should happen in the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in January beyond the usual, but if you can start supporting it now, that will help our future distributors know that there is, um, a hunger for what we're doing. You can start supporting it by just clicking and sharing and watching our little teaser episodes.
0: Okay. Definitely. Well, um, We'll definitely, you know, shoot that out on our social media and everything. And as we grow, hopefully, it helps uh, everything that you're doing. And we definitely appreciate you um, being here and talking, you know, uh, talking to us and, um, you know, definitely giving inspiration to us and probably, you know, whoever's listening. So, um, thank you so much.
4: <laughs> thank, God. thank Thank you. you guys. It was
0: um, fun. Definitely appreciate it. Um, as a wrap up channel 10 podcast.com follow us on uh itunes stitcher soundcloud instagram wherever you are we are so um check us out there definitely check out davy because she's dope and she does her thing and um if that's everything then i think that we can wrap it up right here Alrighty. Alright, all right thanks a lot peace Mm -hmm. out Thanks,
1: guys. The feeling is here. Yeah, son. You feel it, man. What up, son? You gotta just do it, CNN. yo. Yeah, man. Yo, what up, man? On it's a different again. channel, son. What up? Hold on, man. What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. Well, what up? All good, baby. In every hood, bridge. son what up, you CNN, Network, Channel network, 10. It's on again. Network Street niggas, it's grown sense. men. Me Boldface, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Catch more beef than Scarface face. CNN, that beat, network, network, Channel 10. Network, it's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Boldface, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Catch more beef.